Phoenix Down Radio is on the air. Welcome everybody to Phoenix Down Radio, episode number 109. I'm your host, Klaus Nightbringer. Joining us this week, we have Sarah Timono. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm hoping the mic wasn't live for that last bit. I'm doing all right. You're fortunate it wasn't. We also have joining us uh, Tal is Marvelous, the most interesting potato on the planet. How are you, my friend? I am doing well and starchy as hell. Hey, that even rhymed. That was pretty sweet. Is that like salty? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Except I'm a tank, so I have to be starchy. Mm. So everything sticks to you? That's the goal. Excellent. And we have a special guest this week. Uh, joining us is uh, the, the creator and author of Final Fantasy VII Old World of Darkness, a fan-made adaptation and scenario using the Old World of Darkness system, um, Justin Blasdell. Justin, thank you so much for joining us and uh, telling us all about your uh, awesome uh, creation. Well, thank you for having me. And it's uh, Justin Blaisdell. So, oh, I'm sorry. My, my, my po- I should have asked that ahead of time. That's a terrible host. <laughs> I just didn't about that wow. professionalism thing we were talking about. Yeah, we don't have it. No, <laughs> no. It's, I'm not offended. You're, okay, you're, Justin Blaisdell. Right. Th- thank you so much for joining us. If it had an I in there, it'd have been easier. But I should have asked initially. Anyway, well, it's, reading, it's super guys. Americanized, so it's like, you know, they're like, oh, take as many letters out as possible to make it look even more American. Now no one can pronounce it. <laughs> Welcome to Ellis Island. <laughs> yes. A friend of mine and her mom have two different spellings of the last name because, like, grandma got a spelling and then grandma misspelled moms and then mom misspelled daughters. So, like, across three generations, they have the same last name with, like, two letters different. <laughs> Professional. Uh huh. Yeah, really funny, Nick Narth. But thank you for the resub. We really do appreciate that. Uh, Resubs, awesome. <laughs> All right. Um. So how was it? we were gone for? Uh, it was been three weeks since our last episode, so we had a little bit of extra time because of Thanksgiving. Uh. So how does everybody's Thanksgiving? Uh, uh Sarah, you have to go last because yours was the best. Okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about it ahead of time, so we kind of knew what was going on. But just, just go, you punks. Oh, fine. Okay, well, turkey tastes like napkins, so there's that. But I did make the cornbread stuffing uh, from the Bon Appetit series, and it was awesome and got completely devoured. It was a good time hanging out with family and friends, and it was really nice not having to work for a couple of days. And, of course, we had to throw in Bon Appetit right away. Oh, I threw it in there. I do the recipe. I mean, come on. I got to give credit. <laughs> you, you credit your sources. That's like I was going to say, Sarah would actually murder me if I did not cite my sources. No plagiarism on my watch. Exactly. Sure. Um, um, I guess I, I'll go next. Go ahead, please. Yeah, like I said, I had uh, four different Thanksgivings, one of them being yesterday. So I have food okay. for quite a while. Ooh. Anything especially uh, amazing that you uh, got to uh, partake in? Oh, well, one of those Thanksgivings, my daughter got bit by a dog, so that was kind of interesting. But Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, other than that, oh, and uh, my, my, uh, my life partner, she, uh, she was able to create a, uh, an unusual vegetable medley where it was like, beets and sweet potatoes and it was it was a weird weird mixture and smelling it it smelled like like a a pizza 
which was weird because when we were on our way over to one of the friends, it was in our car and the gas attendant, I'm in Oregon, so we have gas. Attendants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was, he was, he was doing, you know, getting our money. He's like, I don't know what you have in that car, but it smells great. And it made her day <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> Aww, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. Sweet. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, I had just two Thanksgivings. Um, I had to work actual Thanksgiving day because, well, casinos never close. So, no. So there, so that's a thing. But uh, when I went to the folks, we had the standard uh, turkey and dressing and stuff like that. I was sad though; there was no pumpkin pie. Um, I have a um a little a nephew who's got a uh, um gluten issues, so he can't have uh, a lot of you know normal gluten stuff. So so like the pie crust and possibly some stuff with the filling. Yeah. yeah. So in, instead, they made uh, gluten free little uh, basically uh, pie shots. Hmm. No, yeah, that works. Because if you try to do like a gluten-free full-on crust, it just doesn't work. The Actually, yeah, I I did finally get pie up at my uh, at, at the other Thanksgiving I had, and that was actually made with a gluten-free crust. That's crazy. And the fact that uh, my birth mom has issues with dairy, um, it it used uh, um, there was it was pumpkin and uh, cashew milk. Yep, and. Uh, there was something else in there, but it was actually really good pie. I can imagine the cashew milk actually working super, super well mm. with that. Yeah, and but yeah. the other thing that sucks is uh, they have a uh, turkey allergies. So we had Asian Oof. chicken wings. Turkey allergies? Yeah, I. That side of the family has All some right. really odd um, allergies. So we roll with it, mm-hmm. but we get some really interesting food out of it. Fair. I guess so. Now we get to hear what Sarah had and be jealous. <laughs> like, it, uh, this was one of the years where it was just me and my parents. So we decided we didn't want to bother with any of the cooking or the having a certain amounts of leftovers. And we just went to a steakhouse. I had the filet with uh, shallot and blue cheese butter. And we all hate you. <sighs> you know, you could make this yourself. Our <laughs> are not even that hard. No, it's not that. It, no. Uh, am I am I weird for being for not really liking filet mignon? No, eh, everyone's got their own taste. But yes, <laughs> well, not for that. <laughs> There's other reasons. Sure. You have poor people taste buds. <laughs> no. I'm the crazy bastard that's like, I would like half a cow, please. <laughs> I want all of the types of steak. Just, just give me a ribeye, you know, bloody. Yep. Or or maybe a nice piece of uh, um, a five wagyu. I love Wagyu so much. I know, right? <laughs> so good. Anyway, this isn't uh, Bon Appetit. <laughs> this one wasn't even my fault. This is Phoenix Down Radio. Um, uh, Thanksgiving episode. Or post. Yeah. Post-Thanksgiving. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is our, uh, oh gosh, the tryptophan-fueled episode. Yeah. Sure. Or, or the, the uh, maybe it's the uh, after effects of uh, you know not having tryptophan for a while. Also, yeah. I taught my mom to do an asparagus saute. Ooh, nice. Asparagus that is sounds lovely. Rad. Yeah. It was just like a super simple, throw a little water into the uh, frying pan along with the butter, uh, put the lid on so it steams briefly so you get your blanche step in before you saute it. Excellent. Yes. I personally prefer to go with Brussels sprouts. Mm, and I add, good too. I add maple syrup and bacon. And it um, is amazing. It's just a thing for conveying maple, uh, uh, maple and bacon. No, I actually do like 
Brussels sprouts. Because this feels kind of like how popcorn, where if you add salt and butter to it, it tastes like salty butter. <laughs> no, you still get now the you're nice. Not getting popcorn anymore. Now you're just using it as a vessel. Right. No, I actually do really enjoy Brussels sprouts, but I enjoy them even right. more with maple and bacon. Fair enough. <laughs> I suppose. All right. Now we do have an update to our podcast schedule. Uh, last time I had said that we were going to be making a change. We'd have our episode today, and then in two weeks, unfortunately, life happened. So. After tonight, we're actually going back to our regular schedule. Episode 110 will be next Saturday, December 14th. And the final episode of 2019 will be on December 28th. So you don't have to wait. uh, wonderful time. Sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Come on, we were all thinking it. A little bit. I was thinking least, but anyway. Did you not notice the heavy sarcasm? No, oh sarcasm God. doesn't apparently go through Discord. Moving on. They've been having some issues, and I think that their their uh, um their sarcasm uh, meters are broken. But yes, so moving, anyways, moving <laughs> on. Long walk there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Let's go ahead and jump into that gaming community news. Um, now, the last episode, Talas was not with us because he was somewhere else. And I told I him, was. I told him that it, it, to, well, in order for him to come back, he had to tell us all about his time at KupoCon 2019. So, Talas. I got to do fun shit. Because <laughs> we're not fun? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Huh? Uh, no, that there's different exactly types of fun. I say. <laughs> you should take it so personally, Klaus. I love I do. you both. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, you made the right choice. But let's hear all about it. So for anybody that hasn't heard me wax poetic about KupoCon, uh, they do events all over the world. They do can they do like four events a year. Uh, this one is the second event that they did in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, the one last year was called Palmtropolis. This one was called Port Palm. It was loosely Final Fantasy X themed. Um, there was a Moonlight Masquerade evening event. Uh, our guests were people who were relevant to what was going on in the Final Fantasy franchise at the time. A year and a half ago, we had um, Mr. Happy and Ray Chase were two of the guests that we had. I don't recall the third one, unfortunately. Uh, This time, we had John Bentley, Adam Crowsdale, and Brianna White, uh, who you might know as Barrett, Ignis, and Aerith. Wow. they, They came and hung out they did signings. They did autographs. Um, autographs were, I think they were like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. They were really cheap. Um, but for for KupoCon, it's called a convention kind of just for branding reasons. It is more of a fan event, and it is run like an event. When you get there, you go to opening ceremonies. There's no, I'm going to skip opening this year to do this other thing. It's, you go to opening ceremonies... Everybody has a loot bag. The community managers come up and kind of tell you what's going on throughout the day. There's a schedule. And everything is set up to where you will be busy pretty much the entire time. But if there's a point where you're not super interested in what the main stage event is, you can step away and that's a good time to trade cards or go through Awakas or go look at the artist alley area. Did you make sure to give him 200 gil right away? Uh, 
fun fact, we are actually going to be doing a giveaway later today for a hundred gil on the show. Ooh. So I will also open this up to people who are podcast listeners, because I know we have a lot of podcast listeners that aren't able to be with us on Saturdays. Um, So look forward to that on Twitter. I do have a hundred gil for you. Um, The gil is set up from the Bank of Mog. They use different gil for every event. And so at the end of the event, the gill is pretty much just a collector's item. Uh, this was one that actually hung out in my wallet for most of the event. So it looks like a dollar bill at this point. It's <laughs> it's a little beat up. My bad. Sorry. Um, so after opening ceremonies, we were given our quest logs. Our quest logs have explanations for everything from the cosplay contests to how gill works to how the special guests worked. We used to have fates, similar to how we have in 14. It plays the little chime at the beginning, and then we all had to do the fate. Well, Yoshi P got wind of it and didn't like it. So now they're, <laughs> called, now they're just called eights. They're called active time events, uh, courtesy of Final Fantasy IX. And sometimes it's things like, we did the squat challenge last year from FF7. Uh, we had a bunch of them, which one was like, meet as many people as you can, one was exchange masquerade tokens with someone. The cosplay contest is instead of having judges and well-qualified people and, oh, this person is biased towards whatever, everybody gets a masquerade token. And if you see somebody's cosplay that you like, whether it's a prop, a wig, an outfit, a character, somebody that was really cool, you hand them that. And at closing ceremonies, we say, okay, who has who was given a masquerade token? Stand up. And then we applaud everybody that how does an awesome cosplay okay if you have more than five stay standing more than 10 more than 20 more than 50 and oh that my is gosh did someone that, break 50 uh i think we got 34 this year dang 33 and 34 which for an event that had like 800 people is a lot yeah um the event is designed to be intimate and inclusive and immersive And so as a result, this doesn't work the same way as a big convention does, where there's tons of panels and viewing rooms and an artist alley and an exhibitor's hall and main events. Sometimes you need tickets. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it closes. Sometimes it doesn't. No, none of that. It's show up, have a blast, follow the schedule, go watch all the interviews during on main stage or go sit at tables and play Tripalm all day. For me... Tripom is the legally distinctly different game from Triple Triad, um, which hilariously the main artist for actually ran a link shell that Sarah was in once upon a time that I found out like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, no, she was uh, the leader of my Dynamics link shell for, oh God, years. Oh God, I'm having Dynamics flashbacks. All right. She was great. She was great. Did she so, give, uh, take away points if you were late? Mm- no, but she would like make angry faces at you at lottery pictures. <laughs> That's actually worse. So yeah. now Sorry. in the quest log, there's two things that you could do to earn gill. Um, and instead of just having the shop where you use actual human earth dollars to buy cards or t-shirts or merch, whatever, there's also gill that you earn by doing things like obtain one of each gill denomination, present three of the same Tripom card to the Bank of Mog, present an item to the Bank of Mog that came from another KuboCon event, post about your experience at KuboCon on social media, and then they will give you gill for it, and you use the gill to buy things 
that you can't get with money, whether it's full art prints of tripalm art, or I got a play mat to play tripalm on. It has some pretty cool squall art. Oh, um, the other part is the hunts. Grab your camera. So the hunts start out with, there's a character that you have to find. I'm just going to go ahead and very quickly read one. Let's see here. Sarah, pick a character from Final Fantasy anywhere. One Barts. through 15. Barts. I think you mean have butts? Butts? <laughs> uh, okay, I don't think we... Oh, we actually... Oh, they skipped Barts. Um, oh, oh that actually, no, up. I have a better one. I have a better one. Uh, Justin? Yeah? Pick a seven character that you like. Hmm. Well, I, I like Vincent Valentine. He's my favorite. Okay, Vincent Valentine, Final Fantasy VII. For 50 EXP, you get a photo with Vincent. Not too hard, pretty straightforward. For 100 EXP, you need a photo of Vincent sleeping. <laughs> For 200 EXP, you need a photo of Vincent attacking a Turk. Hmm. So you have the easy, medium, and hard. And the easy is always photo with blank. Photo with a Moogle. Photo with Sarah. Photo with Prompto. The 200 EXP is a photo of Prompto taking a photo of Prompto. <laughs> <laughs> nice. A photo of a video of Van shouting, shouting about Captain Bosch. A photo of Aerith Sifroth in that moment. A photo of Vincent attacking a Turk. Photo of Yuna performing half. Photo of Squall and Headmaster Sid. Yes, there was a Headmaster Sid, and the dude was busy all day. Uh, <laughs> my sister cosplayed as Cindy. She was the only Cindy. The 200 EXP was a photo of Cindy working on a car. We had everything from Matchbox cars to you have to color in this page from a coloring book I bought from the drugstore across the street. I had her watching a Chris Fix video. Like, we had... She was busy all day. Oh, wow. So, and kind she, of, if you... If you're someone who's uh, gone, gone as one of the uh, less popular costumes, people may be very interested in getting you for those rare ones. Because it's really hard things like photo of Balfier stealing. There were no Balfiers. Hmm. Uh, there's a video of a character, uh, Final Fantasy X, photo of a guardian, photo of a character affected by Sin's toxin, or photo of a character saying, ride the shoe puff. <laughs> <laughs> the best one that I found was a photo of an avalanche member, photo of a party of three, or a photo of a character with the matching tripom card. My genius self saw a cloud right at the beginning, pulled the cloud out of my binder, ran over, asked for a selfie, took a picture, done. But then I thought, you know what would be super fun? to get a shitload of these even if i can only turn it in once let's see how many i can get so some of the tripom cards aren't final fantasy characters they're kupocon staff oh dear so i got kupocon staff to do the selfies with their cards and that's the one that i turned into the bank so instead of turning in here's a picture of sarah with a sarah or cloud with a cloud it's here's alan here's alex here's alex's wife here's Here's Nikki, the community manager. So that was an absolute blast. Did you have security uh, following you the entire time then? No, actually. Uh, people <laughs> knew me as the guy that played Tripom all day, and they knew my sister as the one that was Cindy. And then a friend of mine was a rockabilly-style dress, but she was a Moogle. So she was very busy most of the day as well. She had a big sign that said Safe Point. <laughs> so so we were had an absolute blast with the quest log. The guests that we had, they did their interviews, they did their talking points. 
uh, Adam Crowsdale's was pretty straightforward. It was, hey, we just hit three years on Final Fantasy 15. How was the project? How was working with everybody? Did you get to play episode Ignis? Etc. And it was really fun talking to him. John and Brianna, on the other hand, had a really tough time because they were still covered under NDA and Final Fantasy 7 doesn't come out until March. <laughs> so they're like, what's the favorite? What was your favorite part? Uh, meeting everyone. Can you tell us a story? No. No, I cannot. <laughs> I am <laughs> legally so, like, obligated to say no. And so like Brianna was just super, what? super lost. It was it was a blast though. What's your favorite food? Hang on, I need to check if we can discuss that. Yeah, you're always like, uh now what you do is you say hot dogs that are shaped like melon bread and everybody laugh. Uh... <laughs> because translations. Nothing beats a jelly filled donut. Oh my so, god, no. You're done. So you're done. The evening event. The evening event, everything closes at 6. Everything starts about 10, closes at 6, kick everybody out for two hours, and then we come back for the evening. It's a masquerade. People dress up. There's there's masks. There's dancing. At one point, Alex came up. The dance floor was empty for two songs in a row. He said, okay, clearly you don't like the music. What do you want to listen to? And because we were all mostly white nerds there was a lot of random ymca dances and the macarena <laughs> happened at one point by the way emmett selk doing the macarena is the funniest shit i've ever seen in my entire life it was amazing um, video or it didn't girl. happen uh i think we had video somewhere i'm sure you excellent do. <laughs> so that there was however a not fate uh at the very beginning of the masquerade where we cleared the dance floor and three people were selected and they all wore blindfolds and the fate was called the Thunder Plains. Oh, God. Oh, God. So we put tissue paper all over the dance floor. And they had to get from one side of the dance floor to the other while everybody was shouting directions at them. And if they touched the tissue paper, they had to start over. And they had the little ticking sound effect playing the entire time. And there was a lot of shouting. They would send people back. At one point, the organizers were running around shoving them directly in front of people. A foot was already in the air. Um, it was complete and utter chaos and an absolute blast. My sister, who doesn't play 14 because she's in college and is focusing on that, uh, she has narcolepsy. And at one point, just passed out. Like you do. Well... A, new, a gentleman that we had just met downstairs who was there by himself was buying an evening pass on the fly because he wanted to stay. Um, hi, Eden, if you're listening, by the way. Literally, we had never met this guy. He asked if he could hang out with us. We said, of course you can. He's out on the dance floor. He sees a gentleman says, oh, my friend just passed out. I think she's okay. Um, her brothers stepped away. We're trying to find him. And this dude's like, oh my gosh, you cannot just, what? He stops dancing, he goes over, he's making sure, he's checking on her. He asked if he could pray over her at one point. Um, Eden's running around all over the hotel trying to find me. He finds me and I get back to find this. And that person that we ended up finding was John Bentley. Wow. The voice of Barrett said, I am a guest. I'm here for work. He said, nope, not here for work. Here to check on somebody that I care about. They find Aww. me. He gave us all hugs. We took a ton of pictures. He gave us his contact information because he wanted to make sure that my sister was taken care of. After we got back to the States, after the event was over. Dude is an absolute boss. So 
conventions, if you need a really cool guest, uh, John Bentley is... <laughs> Hi, Super Sugar. Thanks for joining us. Um, but yeah, John Bentley was absolutely outstanding and a total blast to hang out with. Shout out to Barrett. So yeah, shout outs to Barrett for being the best uh, avalanche leader. So at the end of the day, we have KupoCon. It's intimate. It's immersive. It's incredibly fun. That being said, there is no on this year, at this month, it will be. SoccerCon in Seattle happens on Easter weekend, so late March, early April, every single year at the convention center. Not that hard to track. KumoriCon uh, is Portland. It's in October. Not that hard to track. And then you get KupoCon. It's like it's in Vancouver in March 2018. And then it's in Vancouver in November of 2019. And then it's not coming to Vancouver again until 2021. But it's in Melbourne in 2020. And it's in like London or Glasgow in February. This feels very involved. It's all over the place. And as a result, you don't just get a convention that is in your city that does a certain thing every year. What you get is an event that is unique and different to every single one to the point where the events aren't even called KupoCon. They are called Port Palm, Palmex, the Bigger Palm, the Wee Palm, Palm Saucer, Palmathon, Palmtropolis, Palmingham Palace, Palmtario, Mind the Palm, and the Big Palm. They're all Kupo themed and they're all a blast. If you can get to one, go. If you can't, that's okay. Hang out with us online. We're having a great time. Uh, we have a FC on Moogle that is all KupoCon <laughs> fans. <laughs> uh, you can find me there as Marvelous Tofu. Um, but yeah, we're having a blast. Um, but yeah, KupoCon was super fun. My only real cool claim to fame was that one, my sister was Cindy in the room. Uh, and two, I taught a dude to play Tripom in the morning. He went and bought three packs of cards. I helped him build a deck, and he ended up winning the tournament. Nice. nice. Wow. So, like, he literally learned to play. He played nine games in his whole life, but he won just the right ones that he ended up winning the whole tournament. So it was an absolute joy to see a complete novice stomp all of us and have a blast doing it. Very cool. So shout out to everybody who's putting on KupoCon across the world. I think it's there's like a, a few people that are kind of in charge of the overall thing, and then they have local people who do the events. Yes and no. Um, we have our community managers, um, Alex, Allen, and then um, Alex's wife, Natalie, is a big part of it. Uh, Nikki used to be a community manager. She's stepping down. She's going to be floor manager uh, at Pomtario. And we're just having... There's, I think their staff is like 10 people, but not everybody is active. One is their staff photographer. One wrote the novelization of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, one is Wave Chan, who's doing Tripom art. Um, so Yay. the team is decent, but realistically, you only see three or four people at any given event. That's a lot of work. So it's a lot of work. Their volunteer, list, their volunteer list is you know decent, but they only need about eight to 12 people to run any given event because of how it's structured. And at the end, they give one staff award out. It's called the Warrior of Light Award. <laughs> and it is always a very tearful, very big moment. It's the last thing that we do because everybody's just so full of emotion by the end of it. We are not going to get anything else done. Uh, this year, it was given for the very first time 
to a couple in lieu of a person. And it's everybody stand up. If you've been to more than one KupoCon, please remain standing. If you've been traveled overseas to be here, please remain standing. If you've been to five KupoCons, please remain standing. Dang. And they were dressed as Riku and Waka. Uh, but you have to wear your staff t-shirt. So it's Riku, and she has the little tassel things hanging off of her back. But she's in the blue t-shirt with the little bug Yesh dude from FF10. And Waka's got the pants and the hair. But he still has the blue staff t-shirt. <laughs> Absolute joy to be there. Um, yeah, KupaCon's a super fun time. And that is where I was two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Gosh, it's been that long. Three weeks. Oof. How time flies. It was, it's crazy. But thank you so much. Oh, and also, like, half, half the signs are written in Albed, by the way, just for fun. Just because, <laughs> why the hell not? <laughs> Did you have to find primers across the entire uh, event? Uh, in 2018, they printed one in the quest log. And so when we started seeing stuff in Albed, all of us that were there last year cracked the back, go to the back of the book and start flipping for the primer, and it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, you guys suck. So then we had to find people that just had it memorized. Wait. Which I'm sure there were. Yes. There's a lot, actually. Of course. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your experience of KupoCon. Um, if you guys are planning on going to Melbourne, let us know. We'd like to hear from it. Maybe you can tell us about it after the event happens in March. So, yeah, we appreciate uh, you guys uh, letting us know. Yeah, KupoCon is, let's see, Melbourne is November, uh, November of next year. Oh, which one's the next one? Uh, Glasgow, Scotland in February. Okay, well, maybe we can hear from Paul or Chile on that one then possibly if anybody lives in quebec there's one in montreal in april and then melbourne is in october looks like okay excellent all right um continuing on with more game and community news um sarah brought this one up to me and i'm gonna have him talk a little bit more about it um our friends over at a stage reborn are currently doing um it, is it in the audition phase right now sarah uh, yeah, so it's not quite auditions, but yes, it's in the uh, initial right now. They're doing the digital choir. Yep, uh, called Stage Reborn Sings. And from their page, the goal of Stage Reborn Sings is to give everyone the opportunity to learn, practice, and hone vocal performance skills in an accessible way. Individual and collective group talent will vary between cycles. However, overall lessons will include music theory, Sight singing and ear training, music history and appreciation. Um, now this now, cycles piece is going to be "Oh for the Wings of a Dove" by Felix Mendelssohn. And Sarah, you said you were actually uh, going out for it this year. Uh, yeah. So the description there, I don't think quite uh, explains everything. Uh, a stage reborn, as you know, they support a lot of stuff with uh, digital arts. They do their uh, stage performances. They do stuff with trying to put on uh, various types of uh, stage productions in other mediums. So you have like the Shakespeare play that they did recently, other stuff they've done. They're now trying to expand that to choral work. So they've got us uh, people who applied uh, where you're, they're going to we're going to be going through workshops, practicing and rehearsing together and recording pieces that will be put together to actually make a choir production. And a lot of this is just kind of exploring the these are ways for people to participate in the arts as enabled through gaming and through Internet stuff. Now, I read a so little yes. bit through that. Uh, some of the things they're recommending people have things like audacity. Now, are they going to be recording individual pieces and trying to piece it together digitally uh, or? 
Yes, it does look like, uh, so we are going to be doing practice together. We are going to stuff to develop uh, voice parts and the like. Uh, and they did include stuff in there, like, for instance, software to help you with keeping proper tempo and timing for that. And then, yes, they'll actually be putting together all of the various voice recordings, layering those together into one thing to create a choir performance, even though the individuals aren't able to gather and perform at the same time. Yeah, because one thing that I've noticed is, I don't know if you've ever heard me and Sarah try and sing together, one of us is always ahead of the other because of digital lag. So yep. having to actually try and get uh, 50 voices together through like a Discord, yeah, that wouldn't be good. I mean, you might have noticed when they added those performance features, one of the things they added was something to help groups sync up. And it is something where on your end, you'll be seeing different things, but the people who are listening to their performance will hear something sl slightly time delayed where all are lined up together. Yep. And those are the types of things you start having to do just because of the nature of internet performances and having a uh, lag between those spots. Yeah, anybody who is... So it Sorry, go ahead. So yes, exploring this idea of a digital choir, they're going to be uh, messing around with a little bit. And one of the things that enables that, as opposed to having a physical choir where you're all standing together, is uh, recording those pieces and combining them after the fact. Okay. It's an interesting approach to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah, it does sound very interesting. I was just going to say, you know, anybody who is tuned in to us doing uh, uh, Twitch Sings here at Phoenix Down Radio, um, you'll know that I've had to do a lot of... Uh, changing of the the timing so like if i'm singing a duet with somebody else who pre-recorded theirs that we all match up properly so it's it's a very similar thing that they're going to be trying to do here but on a much much larger scale mm -hmm. and it's something where uh they they are not necessarily looking for people who have experience uh it is something where there are going to be workshops there is going to be training for that so they encourage people to continue to apply because they're going to be doing multiple cycles for it and if i ever wanted a chance to try out uh singing a bit uh as part of a choir it's an exciting opportunity did they say when they're actually uh gonna try and have the performance ready by uh not yet at this point oh it's they uh the stage that they're at they've sent out notifications to people and we are putting down our to figure out when we can do workshops okay sounds good so it's it's still uh, very much at the beginning of the cycle so I, they may still be able to get in if you're interested uh yeah i would go ahead and apply either way even if you can't get in for this one they're planning to do more expressing that interest getting your name in there's best way to get started on yep. and i went ahead and linked it in the twitch uh chat and we'll also be putting in the show notes with the podcast so if you are interested uh you can go to a stagereborn.com slash choir all right, uh, getting into some Final Fantasy XIV news. Uh, the patch 5.1 special site has been updated uh, with new images and info for patch 5.15, which is actually coming on Tuesday, December 10th. Uh, maintenance. Oh my gosh, I thought I had more time. <laughs> no time. Uh, maintenance will be starting Monday, December 9th at 7 p.m. through 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, is it just me, or was the turnaround really, really fast? No, it's about right, I think, for a 0.5 patch. Part of it may be that we had that 0.1 patch in the middle. Well, oh, okay, that's what I'm thinking. We but had a... just, like, the announcement versus the, hey, this is coming on the Monday Night Tuesday update, like, it feels faster than normal. But... Yeah, we didn't get a, a much of a heads up this time, but I, I know that it. this is always a busy time for everybody, so. True. They're also, I know that Japan specifically, I know the Shinjuku offices, they basically shut down for like most of December. 
right. they're probably trying to get everybody done and out the door. Yep, so maybe that's why they just pushed it through. Um, so some of the things we're beginning with patch 5.15, uh, Blue Mage, um, it, the level cap goes to 60, and they're adding in the new Blue Mage log, which looks to be giving us access to primals, raids, and alliance raids as Blue Mage. But yeah, as all Blue Mage. It looks to be a kind of a special duty finder, so that Blue Mages, rather than having to hand for learning spells or other things like that, they'll be able to uh, easily link up with other blue mages who want to do that. And Super Sugar with the with the resub, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate uh, all you guys supporting the, the podcast like that. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> um, but uh, are you guys going to be continuing on your the blue mage path? Well, mine's level 22, so I guess technically, yes, I could keep going. <laughs> Am I the only one who has it level 50? I think so. Oh, okay. I've been busy! I know, Void, okay, Void Arc, Blue Mage, though, all the weird stuff that happens in Void Arc, that actually might be super fun. There could be some really yeah. cool things that happen. You know, we get access to all the Heavensward uh, raids. Alexander, can you imagine all the Blue the blue Mages taking on Jigglybutt? Oh, oh God. God. Why is that the first place you went? <laughs> I always go to the Jetman Megazord over there, and no, no, Sarah's, a, Sarah, you're, you're right. Why, why does he always do this? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I feel like I don't want to know. No, I, I think it's because uh, Jigglybutt just destroyed so many statics. I want to see a, a group of blue mages just destroy Jigglybutt. Oh, so you want to see them destroy a Jigglybutt? Is that it? Self destruct. Self destruct. Self destruct. <laughs> That won't save you from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. All right. Okay. The other, other things are adding. Um, Ansal Hakair, uh, which is the new PvP in the Ozim step. Um, I don't know. Is anybody going to give it a try? I'll probably take a look. I've been more interested in the PvP lately. It's fun, but just I log in. I do PvP for a couple of weeks, and then I just go... I would rather do progression or almost anything else. Just after the first few weeks of the new content, it just doesn't keep me. Oh my god, Ian. Blue Mage Party Finder equals Blue Mage Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> looking for a friend to learn water spells with. I uh, what? No. <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. Swipe right. <sighs> <laughs> I'm going to swipe left swipe on right this conversation. <laughs> um, and they also posted a picture of a new mount. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this mount. It looks like yes. a like a mechanical uh, dwarf with a pickaxe. I've got some like and a little a bit of Megas XLR going on, and I'm really excited about it. I, I heard comparisons to Iron Man as well. Yeah, I'm, I want to know if we can color it. Somebody on... Reddit was like, can I dye it? Because I want a Gundam. <laughs> like, God damn it. But yeah, just it looks cool, but like, why does it have a pickaxe? Is it a gatherer's mount? Yeah, I'm. It, it, How about even. There is no clue at this point where it comes from. I mean, if I had to guess, if you've taken a look at the various blacksmith craft. Blacksmith craftable weapons. Uh, the dwarven mithril ones, the ones that are supposed to be the stuff that the dwarves make. 
Like, for instance, one of them, which is supposed to be a sword, looks like a pickaxe. For a lot of them, it's suggested that dwarven weaponry is drawn from these mining tools, stuff like that. So, get already seen with the various iron ambers and the like, I would guess this is some kind of dwarf nonsense. Probably, yeah. just yeah. because of the fact that we have, like you said, like there's a warrior weapon that's just a hammer, right? It's an axe, but it's, it's just a giant mallet. But yep. when we first were getting the axes, if you look through the Limsa lore for Marauders, it's we had to use axes because we only had space for tools or weapons, but not both. So we found a tool that we could use as a weapon. And so I feel like there's also a reward system for like tanks and healers where white mages get unicorns, uh, warriors get like werebears and stuff. Wouldn't it be cool if all the time, all the energy and the effort and the skill that crafters put into this game, giving them a mount that only they could get would actually be super, super cool. Crafters and gatherers. A, yeah, that would be a nice way to just be like, hey, we know that you've also put 19 days of playtime in in the last two years. Here, have a mount. Because the, the white mage has one. The tanks have one. Like, wouldn't it be cool to just be like, if you spent the same amount of energy and effort, you should get something too. I would love to see that. Don't know if that's what we get, but I'm happy to have a robot mount no matter what. So I'm in. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the robot style mounts did come from PVP, but uh, the fact that this one looks d uh, dwarven, um, you know, I, I thought initially, is this one going to come from PVP? But it doesn't have enough of that uh, Asm step flare, I would think. Yeah. Like, so, it definitely it, seems it, like it, something it, from like, the first. Yeah. And having something crossover from the first would be a bit weird at this stage. That is a valid point. So, we'll have to kind of see where it ends up coming from. Wherever, Whenever we do discover where, what it is from, I'm going after it. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. But that's the only mount. We'll go that, together. It'll be great. Like, the, uh, um, the Amaro mount, that's probably one that I will unfortunately never see. Because I don't think I'll ever get all of my uh, um, fighting classes up to 80. Meh. Give it time. We've had this discussion, Sarah. Meh. <laughs> Level 19 pugilist. <laughs> Level okay, 23 thaumaturge. On, at this point, that's on you. No, I hate the jobs. <laughs> No, it's fine. I'm with him on this one. I've got like a level seven archer dude. Like I'm right there with you. You're talking to the bard main. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't do ranged. No, well. I know. I know. Well, I, I have a hard time do, uh, with uh, machinist as well. So if you don't count a uh, blue mage, then my lowest job is 61 and that's breaker. No, I'm Which counting blue mage. I'm counting blue. I'm mage. curious now. I don't remember what my lowest is. Uh, six. My archer is six. Okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> All right. So that's what we're um getting in five point one five. Um, but shortly after that, uh, we are going to be getting a special fourteen hour broadcast starting at on Friday, December thirteenth. Ooh. Ooh, baby, ooh, baby. Um. And I've got, they gave us the list of everything that's going to be going on. And the times listed here are going to be all Pacific Standard Time. So at 7 p.m. is going to be the introduction and opening remarks. They're going to do all the, the congratulations. They're going to show all the flowers and stuff from all the different uh, other companies. You know, the standard how do you do stuff. Yeah. Um, 
at 8 p.m. on the second channel, they will be doing a Domen Mahjong first anniversary tournament. So it's going to be running concurrently to the mainstream, um, but the finals will be aired on the mainstream at 3 a.m. Pacific time. So this How is did be, this happen? So they're gonna be running, How did Mahjong become so big in this game? They're going to be running from 8 p.m. to like 4 a.m. That's a mm -hmm. long Mahjong tournament. Or maybe that's just going to be one game. <laughs> Mahjong is not that slow. It's, <laughs> it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, but the, the most important bit of the night is coming at 8.30 p.m., and that's going to be Live Letter 56. This is going to give yes. us our first look at Patch 5.2, as well as a question and answer segment with Soken, everybody's favorite uh, uh, Final Fantasy XIV music composer. And just awesome guy. Fucking I mean, Ace Soken is amazing. He's got so he's so good that like I'll put him next to Yasunori Mitsuda as far as level of quality of what he can produce. Easily. Well, he's just so damn lovable. Oh, he's hilarious. He has a blast doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he just loves interacting with everybody else in the in the game community too. I mean, seeing I him at FanFest. Um and just Oh god. Yeah, he is just the biggest ray of sunshine, isn't he? He's so happy and he's always smiling and it feels and looks and it's genuine because you can't fake that for as long as he has been doing it. He is True. genuinely excited to be doing what he's doing. The the automaton that he played <laughs> at FanFest and then he put the thing on his head and played himself like the dude's hysterical. Yep. He knows that everything is going to be tongue in cheek and hilarious anyway. The box so he at, leads at, into it. The box at uh, FanFest 2016. Yeah. Um, Jesus, I'd almost blocked that out of my brain, but now it's back. Basically, everything after that is kind of going to be just some random stuff. Um, NGC's Final Fantasy fourteen Season 5, uh, where you, uh, Yoshida takes on a special quest. A stroll with uh, Yuichi Nakamura, uh, the, the Japanese voice actor for Thancred, uh, who will join Yoshida in-game, where they're going to take on some duties and visit player housing, most likely on Japanese servers. Probably just for lag purposes, because the amount of crap you have to load, woof. And then uh, 6 a.m. will be the uh, after party, kind of closing remarks, all that good stuff. Um, and then before we get into talking with our uh, um, our guest, Justin, um, sorry, yep. this is taking a while, Justin. <laughs> you yeah, know how we fine. do. <laughs> um, this came out recently, I think last uh, middle of last week, um, and I kind of figured it kind of fit in as a transition to our uh, our, our guest's uh, topic tonight. Um, the Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Dev Team Introductions came out in a blog post on the Square Enix website. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to post that into the the, uh, the Twitch chat real quick. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and read into that, I am going to go ahead and uh, kind of just jump through some really interesting key bits of information that... Uh, that I was able to pick up from it, as well as kind of introduce who all of the, the uh, people that they talked about are. Um, the, the main producer of Final Fantasy VII Remake is, of course, Yoshinori Kitase. Um, he basically had said, uh, in the several years following 2009, when I was running around all over the world promoting Final Fantasy XIII, I had an opportunity to speak to many fans and journalists. The question I always got as we got to part ways was, when are you making Final Fantasy VII Remake? 
<laughs> I'm sure he was getting sick of that because he said he was at a point where it almost felt like an alternative way to say goodbye. So eventually I started preemptively giving my response to the question before they even asked it. If we were to create a remake of that now, it would be an enormous amount of data and who knows how many years it would take. But if the right time comes along, we might just do it someday. This is how I like to respond back then. Uh, who knows how many hundreds of times. And to all the people I had a chance to meet back then, the right time has finally arrived. So I thought it was kind of neat that he actually got to, you know, do that, what everybody was asking for. Um, and then, of course, Tetsuya Nomura, uh, the director and concept design, um, talks about um, opportunities for discussing our true intentions are few, but with regard to the size of the game that many are asking about, there is no reason at all to worry. Even in this Midgard portion alone, the density and volume are so great that I had to give directions to lighten them. So there's going to be plenty of content to play in this first part of the game. Um, with regard to new characters, um, though there aren't main characters, the number ended up growing considerably in the process, creating a rich depiction of Midgar. When you think of Midgar's final boss, you probably think of the Motor. Uh, but in this game, new bosses will appear and add to the excitement of the story even more. And for all of you out there wondering uh, about the second part, we're already working on the next one as well. But I'm confident that playing through this title will expand your expectations just like the world that extends beyond Midgar. I'm just happy to hear that they're actually working on them kind of continuously. So we sh hopefully won't have a huge wait in between uh, part one and part two. Because who knows how many parts we're actually going to get, right? I think this I heard rumor once upon a time a thousand lifetimes ago that it was supposed to be like three parts. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're all assuming because the right. original PlayStation version was three discs. Yeah, but disc three was what? The final boss fight, a store and a save point. Yeah, it was mainly Northern Cavern, but yeah, there was like nothing there. But, you know, a lot of like I said, because it was an open world um, in disc two, um, that Fair. there wasn't a lot of stuff they had to really load in. Maybe uh, we only have 650 megs to play with. Yeah, you have to be really tight. But now we don't quite have that limitation. No, but it, so. they're still looking at over. Uh, there's, it's more than a Blu-ray. Woof. So double disc or uh, it sounds like it. I mean, yeah. I get digital copies anyway, so like whatever. But uh, I got physical. It's a lot of space. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. <laughs> and then they. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Took me a minute. <laughs> Kazushige Nojima, uh, the story and scenario. Um. He talked about uh, how he worked on it um, initially. Let's see. In so he talks about uh, in the original Final Fantasy, um, it used cartoon-like stylized art, and the story was completed by players using their imagination to supplement portions that couldn't be depicted. Um, even if they were seeing the same scene, the information they took away from it and how they interpreted it differed depending on the viewer. Uh, perhaps it was what might be considered a narrative form of storytelling nowadays. But in the Final Fantasy VII Remake, there will be much less room for player imagination. This fact will probably change the feel of the story considerably. People who know the original might not know quite how to take it. Such is the fear that I have, but I also have a conviction. It should be possible to feel a much deeper connection to Cloud as you join alongside him. It would be amazing if you could feel that fiery flame together with him. So because they're able to dig so much deeper within the game now, um, it's going to take away a lot of the guesswork and people are going to have a more immersive storyline to play. I think that's what he's trying to get at. 
Well, there's also the certain aspect that I studied Elizabethan lit once upon a time, and it was we only get a window that we can see the story through. And no matter where we're standing, no matter what angle we're at, we can only see, even if we look as deep as we can, we can only see what that window is going to show us. We're never going to see that whole world. Our imagination has to fill in the rest. And that was the case with a lot of we were reading Shakespearean plays at the time. Mm -hmm. It was this is the bit of the story that you get. The things that you don't see, you have to figure out. You know that Falstaff has had a full life of drinking and being boisterous, but you don't get to see that. You only get to see the little bit that you know. And we have to fill in the rest of that life with our imagination, depending on how detailed you need it to be, Well, how it is how much you fill in. But for Seven, because we knew that Cloud is soldier, he is good, and therefore... Or he's good at his job, so when you need to learn about materia, he's the one teaching the other characters. So you kind of got that he was skilled and knowledgeable, but that was all we got. We had to fill in everything else. Yep. We had to fill in the training and the other missions and everything else he did. Other than the cutscenes we got, we had to fill in those gaps. Now we might have access to more story, more depth. We find out more about Wedge and Biggs and Cloud talking on the train before they get there yeah, and don't forget thing. jesse <laughs> oh jesse's the best i don't know i honestly feel that more information equals bigger window and the more that they give the more that people can take away from it oh absolutely i'm, a, I'm not yeah. gonna feel like wait a minute you mean cloud had problem initially learning fire materia i always assumed he was a pro at it i don't like this you know no that's <laughs> yeah. a very a very astute example of like well now we have more information so we can expound on that as opposed to we have to go with what we know and what we know is cloud is soldier move forward well okay great that doesn't tell us anything now we go cloud is soldier hurt his knee on week two is bad at fire materia <laughs> in the wrist with the sword once you're like oh, okay cool like that makes it interesting let's give him some fault that'd be sweet and just in general uh, there's a lot more opportunities to give like a lot of those little monster characterization for interaction of uh, having the uh, character models be a lot more expressive. Mm -hmm. I know it's been talked about, like for instance, uh, in FF14, the North American community doesn't like to be spoon-fed information as as often in terms of plot stuff. They like to have things hinted at and suggested, and to try to work out those details on their own. And this is another opportunity for that, where instead of saying, "Oh, this character likes this one," as a thing said by an NP express it through how they uh, look at each other, uh, little hesitations in the conversation, stuff like that. But it's the, something that makes it feel a lot more like an actual world and an actual, actual people in the story. Yep. Um, and we get, can't get more discussion on that with the other directors. Um, but Naoki uh, Hamaguchi, who's a co-director of game design and programming talks about, uh, 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 in Final Fantasy VII Remake, he takes on the challenge of creating something that's created specifically thanks to the technological power and entertaining entertainment quality that catches the current generation while treating the captivating elements of the original game with respect. Um, basically, for those who have played the game, it'll be new but familiar. And for those who haven't played it, they're going to get that to experience the charm of Final Fantasy VII, which moved the hearts of many now created with the most exciting modern technology available. So they're really trying to take advantage of full advantage of the PS4 and then eventually um, the PC as well, while being able to tell us this story. Um, Motomu Toriyama is a co-director and scenario designer. 
um, talks about uh, increasing the realism of the universe within the city of Midgar, which is made prosperous by Mako Energy. We, of course, also reimagine the characters who reside there, like Cloud and Tifa, more vividly as living and breathing human beings, depicting their daily lives and feelings in a more in-depth manner. So we're gonna, we're going to really get to feel how alive Midgar is. It didn't seem very alive in the original game, did it? It felt like a. Uh, I've had this actually just came up in discussion uh, a little while ago about RPG locations like villages, where it doesn't feel like a place where people actually live. It feels like a stage upon which we're going to see this scene. Yeah. Now, I mean, and, I understand that the technology kind of prohibited us from making it feel like a bustling metropolis, but you, you end know. up with the Pallet Town problem, where there's seven people and two houses in a lab. Right. And, like, Professor Oak doesn't know his grandkid's name. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> like, that's not really a city where people yeah. live. That's not going to work. But having, this is where the slums are. This is a house. I want to walk past and see an NPC hanging laundry on their balcony. Yeah. Like, I want to see weird shit that makes the city look huge and alive. We're going to get that gonna now. That's going to be fun. And, right. and that'll be so like, good. And I feel like if you have the technology to offer it, it's fine. But I was one of those people who were playing the game and, you know, the imagination filled in the holes for me. I, I, you know, I would say, oh, he doesn't remember his kid. And then they're like, well, maybe he's suffering from some sort of Alzheimer's. You know? I just I would fill it in for for them. But it'd be nice for them to to be much more detailed. Now, this little bit of information from uh, Toriyama-san was kind of interesting. When reimagining the Honeybee Inn at the Wall Market, we revived it as a pantheon of entertainment, which couldn't be realized back in the original. Here, the scene that many of you have been eager to see, where Cloud disguises himself. <laughs> mm. <laughs> now, oh, Lord. Who wants to see that in high def? That uh, I'm guessing we've all seen the meme where Cloud is like sitting on the couch with all the other wrestlers behind him, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too much realism. No. <laughs> uh, Shintaro Takai, uh, the graphics and uh, VFX director, says among the many major games that are, are celebrated for their photorealistic graphics, Final Fantasy VII is a little different. Not only is it realistic. But I believe you'll notice that it incorporates playfulness in the design and colors for an originality not found in other games. Effects are an area that is particularly conductive to expressing various elements of playfulness. So they're going to try and you know mix a little bit of magic in there to kind of give it a different vibrance, which will be kind of nice to see. Uh, Taruki... Endo, who's the battle director, says in order to create battles that are surprising and never boring, we worked hard to create a variety of strategic elements for each boss and enemy. Also, in constructing battle systems for each character, we wanted to respect the image of the original version while additionally introducing many new abilities. I hope you're able to find your own style of battle by combining those abilities with materia. So, from what I'm reading so far, they're really, really... Uh, having a great time reimagining Final Fantasy VII with different uh, styles and uh, incorporating all the new technology. Um, Takako Miyake, who is the environment director, says in order to create a fitting backdrop for the drama unfolding around the main characters, and in order for it to be a stage where the various characters living in Midgar can be their vibrant selves, all of the teams, including the environment section, came up with the ideas and worked collaboratively. Midgar is a closed city. 
However, I would be very happy if by experiencing the drama unfolding around its residents and the main characters who got through it, you feel as though Midgar actually exists. So I'm really excited to see what the, the city looks like with everything well, they're saying. They based it off of Tokyo, or at least that was their uh, public opinion originally. So it'd be... What part of Tokyo? All of it. Okay, I lived there. So, like, I'm like, uh, what part of Tokyo? It's very right. different. No, no, they, they specified that I think Midgar, at least the upper uh, sectors, were supposed to represent all of the districts that were was Tokyo to, to kind of give an idea of uh, population. Okay, interesting. Okay. Wow, million, that many million people, huh? 14 yeah. million people. It's just like, because I know that, like, Ota City is completely different than Shinjuku, is completely completely different than Shibuya is not even close to what Ikebukuro looks like. But I mean, Sector like. 1 is different from Sector 3 is different from Sector 7. Yeah, yeah. like, it's gonna be... It'll be interesting, but it's... I mean, it's like playing... God, what was it? World Ends With You? Where, like, you're in Shibuya and then you go to Shibuya in real life. You're like, this is a little different, but not that different. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what the remake looks like compared to, like, this was what our inspiration was. This is what it looks like. All right. There's just three more to introduce and talk about real quick. Iichiro Yamaguchi, who's the lighting director. Uh, he says the positions of the few lights that illuminate the entirety of Midgar, the adjustments made to each and every voluminous cutscene. It's all a lot of work to do. However, alongside the rest of the wonderful lighting team, we feel that we've brought something great to the table. We've left in the elements that will have you going, ah, that's what it's like. And yet you'll still be able to enjoy the world of Final Fantasy VII in its new and fresh style. I wonder if they're able to introduce any kind of ray tracing. Or maybe that'll come in like, I wonder if they'll be able to introduce it with the PC version, potentially. So if they, or if they've thought of it. I'm just kind of interested why they don't. Is the PC version coming out in March or is that coming out no, later? No, that's going to be later. And I'm, I'm assuming probably later in the in. Late part of 2020 would be my guess. There's not been an official announcement date. It has been announced, but hmm, um, interesting. But I'm, I'm like I said, they they do no ray tracing. I know Square Enix had it in uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I, I believe. Whatever the last Tomb Raider one was, either Shadow or Rise. I think it was Shadow. I think it was Shadow. Yeah, that had ray tracing. I or, or was it DLSS? No, it had ray tracing. It was Final Fantasy XV that had DLSS. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, Masaaki Kazeno, uh, the character modeling director, says, I've ensured to arrange things like hairstyles and outfits to recreate the design from the original. So I encourage anyone to take time with their camera angles when playing to take a look. Also, there are several characters that stand out other than just the main characters that you'll find. So please see for yourself as to what kind of appearances and characteristics they have. Other than that, we've got enemies in there, perhaps too close to the original, and there are many surprises coming in the remake for you to all look forward to. Yeah, the, the design of the characters has been amazing in all the screenshots that I've seen so far. I love seeing the pictures of like, this is what Cloud's hair looks like. This is what Tifa's fabric on her dress or on her gloves looks like. This is what Barrett's skin looks like when he's flexing. I mean, it's, it's super detailed. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's fabulous. It's, I can't wait. Yeah. 
And uh, Yoshiyuki Soma, the animation director, says, For the animations, each and every member of the team, from those responsible to battles, fields, simple events, cutscenes, minigames, facial expressions, to swinging things in the background, actual behavior settings, have all worked together to improve as one. We've done our best to ensure that whatever you do, it feels like the characters are alive there with you. So this sounds like a team who has worked really hard to try and recreate one of everybody's favorite Final Fantasy games out there and uh, do it with the proper respect that it's due. So in Mar on March 3rd, 2020, you know my ass is going to be sitting here streaming that for you guys. <laughs> Have fun! I probably I'll, won't get I'll to appreciate play it. it. I won't get to play it probably, but J Justin, I'll have to wait. Justin, do you have it pre-ordered? No, I'm poor. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to go fund me for Justin getting a copy of the set. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, right next to me getting a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we can get both of those concurrently if we. Yeah, we, I, I suppose we can. If we get a couple extra bucks on top of, we can get you some Cheetos. All right, cool. Do you have a PS4? I don't. What I was going to do is whenever it released, I was going to go to a uh, local game store in Medford who recently started the whole rent out a system and TV and game for, uh, I don't know, it was like 10 bucks for five hours kind of thing. Oh, okay. So maybe just try oh, like, a, like a plan trade or something like that. Well, I mean, like like a sit down and start the timer and an esports kind of thing. Yeah, so e that's, I was that's gonna cool. do that. Game cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right on. Yeah, it was uh, original, just like a, a uh, an RPG kind of like come in and play your D and D, but then he expanded. So that's probably what I'll do. Okay. Well, nice. I'm hoping that you get a chance to do that and uh, and have and enjoy that. Um, now that we've gotten through that, <laughs> let's segue into some more Final Fantasy VII talk um, by. Uh, Reintroducing our special guest, Justin Blaisdell. Yes, you said it correctly. Thank you. <laughs> Who uh, approached me on uh, through through the Facebook, um, the, the Phoenix Down Radio Facebook group or a Facebook page, and um, he's like, "Hey, I I created this thing. Uh, are you interested?" So he and I talked for a little bit, and uh, he sent me a link to a, uh, a PDF of a book that he created. I'm going to copy and paste that into the uh, Twitch chat. Again, this will also be in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. This is to a 218-page PDF uh, titled Final Fantasy VII Old World of Darkness. Now, those of you who might be familiar with Old World of Darkness or maybe know it as World of Darkness or the White Wolf system... Um, this is based off of White Wolf Publishing's uh, D10-based tabletop gaming system. Uh, if you've ever played Vampire the Masquerade, um, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension, um, there are a few other ones as well. Um, it is a very simple but uh, interesting system that you can use to create and play different uh, scenarios based off of these supernatural uh, creatures. Now, Justin, what got you interested in uh, taking the system and turning it into a, uh, uh, making a scenario for Final Fantasy VII? 
Well, it's been something that I've been working on for a while. Um, okay, first of all, how long is a while? <laughs> I think I made a prototype of it and shared it online maybe five or, yeah, about five years ago. Um, it was, wow. uh, yeah, I, what happened was, is I was, um, as a, as a storyteller for any kind of system, you're always trying to rethink ways of, ooh, what can I do for this? What happens if this happens? What can I do with this system? And, you know, it never really stops as, as a storyteller because you're wanting to provide more options for your players and just kind of really surprise them, especially the munchkins who think they know it all. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I think... What really started getting me to think about uh, about the connection between Old World of Darkness and Final Fantasy VII was Demon the Fallen and how that their transformative process kind of lines up with uh, Vincent Valentine's ability to transform and Dirge of Cerberus. And I was kind of making that connection of, oh, well, you know, the characters in Demon the Fallen... They're human until they need to, to do something magical or defend themselves or attack. And then suddenly, poof, they're this magical existential creature of either beauty or, or horror based on how much torment they have, which is one of the game mechanics of figuring out how evil you are. Mm -hmm. And then when I looked at when I was playing Dirge of Cerberus, it, it seemed very similar that that Vincent was kind of doing the same thing. And mechanically, it's like, I was wondering how I could make that possible. And I started off with uh, the, the thing that I put on online was how could I express that mechanically in Old World of Darkness? And I really didn't build on anything other than that. I just kind of made that possible, gave it to the world and said, do what you want with it. And of course, no one did anything with it and went nowhere. But I felt like I could always do more with it. It felt like an incomplete idea, and I don't like to leave my good ideas incomplete. So, <laughs> yeah, re recently I went back to it, reread it, and I thought to myself, you know, if I put the effort into it, it's going to be a lot of effort, but if I put the effort into it, I can make a full, complete book out of this and give something back to the world where not only does it, uh, it give a, a different per a perspective, on Final Fantasy VII, but it also brings back the old world of darkness in, into you know into the limelight. And uh, the reason why I keep saying old world of darkness, people might not know, is because White Wolf kept revising the system, which is fair. You know, you're yeah. always trying to prove the old product. But I mean, look at D and D. Right, right. You know, but. What happened was, is when they switched from the, their old world of darkness to the new world of darkness, the system was cleaner, but the storyline a lot of people did not like. Because the old world of darkness, it was evil and cruel and dark and, and very, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the word, but I'm scheming all the time. I'm plotting all the time, even against my fellow people and trying to get up on top. And... It's it kind of got represented in the second version, but it felt like a uh, like a like a restricted version, and it was off putting. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it. I personally did not care for it, and it it destroyed a lot of the uh, 
uh, the customer base for that. And I know they're coming out with a new, new version right now, and I, I would have considered buying it, but the, the core book for Vampire the Masquerade, the recent one, is $150. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to. I, as soon as I saw that, my that price tag, everyone in the store could hear me go, "Woo, woo, no!" And I carefully put the book back on the shelf. Yeah, anybody uh, who plays a tabletop RPG knows that the the core books can get very expensive. Yeah, but it was it was I I I saw a connection between the two, and I honestly said, "I can make this possible." And I decided to go with it. So did you have a lot of experience playing the original World of Darkness games? I, I did. I started when I was uh, 17. Um, I was in high school. It was my introduction into tabletop role-playing. And I can't even remember the game itself, but uh, it was Vampire of the Dark Ages, uh, which which was kind of the same line as vamp uh, as Masquerade, but in the Dark Ages, which honestly gives it a little bit more imagination, you know, things to mess around with. Yeah, old school and, vampire type of things versus uh, you know the the bright sparkly ones like we see in uh, certain movies, which shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I and I I fell in love with it. I was always an imaginative person, and I liked the idea of like, wait a minute, you mean I can play imagination time with my friends, and it's not oh my god, he's being weird. Is oh let's act, you know collectively add into this and make it really cool. And I I just kept buying the books because um, I didn't I didn't tell you this, but I'm originally from Arkansas, and while it you know Arkansas is a pretty awesome state, I love it. Uh, we don't have as much of a population, so whenever you become the weird person who likes this one single thing, it's harder to find all the other weird people who also have the same timetable as you. So I just kept buying the books, buying them, buying them, reading them, reading them, and just enjoying them more as books on the shelf that I can occasionally pull down and think of neat ideas from. Okay. So I've I've been really really into the old world darkness for quite a while uh, and the only time i really stopped was um i think when it was taken or the responsibility of producing the books was uh, uh was taken over by onyx publishing which they're doing a really good job but at that point i i was like if i if i couldn't go to a store and buy the books anymore it felt a little uh, distant to me and i also started getting very poor at that time so i hear you I mean, I, rem I remember back when I was in college, I used to go to the bookstore and I would see when they would get in the new books. I would mm -hmm. love to hang out in the role-playing section and see what new uh, White Wolf publishing books were available and um, peruse through them and see if it was something that would add to my collection as well. I'm, I'm not sure if, you, if I mentioned this to you when, when in our earlier discussions, but back uh, probably, it must have been like the early 2000s, I was pretty big into uh, Werewolf. And I ended up building up a quite extensive collection of uh, source material for uh, the werewolf game. And I think I have about almost 30 books back there. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I understand, you know, it, it was a very interesting system. A lot of my friends were playing D&D &D and I was uh, in a couple of uh, AD&D campaigns uh, through those days. But we also would hold um, vampire or... Uh, werewolf um, 
we actually did a couple of uh, campaigns where it, it kind of mixed the games together, which was, that was a great thing about that system. You didn't have to just play as werewolves or vampires or mages or whatever. You could mm-hmm. actually interact together and, and bring this And the systems were designed to work together. Not perfectly, but they were. Yeah, I mean, like I so, said, there there were little quirks to it, but I mean, for the most part, you could a good DM could easily make it work, right? And and we would do that, and it was so fun messing with. It. I remember we, we one of the campaigns we ran. Sorry, to, it's just because I want to talk about how fun the game system actually is, and then we can get into how it works with Final Fantasy story. Um, mm-hmm. We took a vampire, a bunch of vampires, um, and my character was working with them. Um, as kind of like a, a guide or something like that. Um, little did they know, I wasn't a vampire. I was actually a uh, a were coyote or a nuisha, and I was yeah. just absolutely fucking with them. And it was just <laughs> so much fun. I never had more fun just screwing around with my friends, and they didn't even know it. Right. The the game master we had for that, he he came up with the idea, and he was like, "Dude, you want to just mess with these guys?" And I'm like, "Hell yeah." So, <laughs> and that really got me, you know, hooked on that game system. And it's like, so, I mean, when you approached me about this, I was like, damn, I get to talk about a system that I haven't played in 15 years, but remember playing so well, I'm in. Yeah. So, um, before we get more into the, the um, you know, the, the final fantasy aspect of it, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, like what types of things that you do, what got you interested in, uh, you know, writing all of these games, and have you done anything else like that? Well, well, um, I, I guess I'll go through the kind of resume thing, <laughs> which is, uh, I'm a a master's playwright from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Nice. So I've, yeah, I've, I've been writing for quite a while, and if you were to look my name up on Smashwords.com. I, I put all my plays on there, as well as some uh, children's books that I've written, and uh, more, kind of more recently, I put I made two newer game systems. One which I've been working on for a while, which is uh, Drawn to Action, which uh, is kind of like a an easy one shot system for playing in the cartoon world, and I, I kind of advertise that as, hey, you got. 15 minutes to an hour before the final person comes over, why don't you play one of these to get all the uh, the shits and giggles out of everyone and so you can do something serious when you're ready. Um, I also created uh, a, a game system called Romance, which is an additive to any system. Uh, it's supposed to help you record love relationships between PCs and, more importantly, NPCs. Hmm. And I gave a mechanic to, oh, well, if you're wanting to start a relationship with someone, this is level one relationship. Oh, you want to increase it. Well, this is how you do it. Oh, you're trying to get that person's attention more than someone else's. They also have their own relationship status. And now you're trying to roll against each other to see who is going to get the love of their life kind of thing. And... uh I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of fun, and and the uh, the the scenario I put in the back of it was kind of like a reality uh, TV dating show uh, where you know it's like ooh everyone gets to be as catty as possible, and I, I've I've story told that for a little bit, and it was a lot of fun. I'm surprised that that something like that wasn't bought up. 
because I can see, a, I know there's been a lot of uh, game sessions where you end up seeing people, you know, trying to, you know, stupidly do stuff like that, you know, with, with other characters or, or try to romance the NPCs. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to sometimes uh, interestingly catastrophic um, ends, but uh, adding that into a game system would actually be really kind of cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to come up with something like that. I'm, I'm yeah, surprised more haven't done it. <laughs> I, I I did it because uh, my my uh, partner Rachel she was she's into gaming but she gets kind of tired that it's always adventure kill 'em all styles and I was trying to think of a, a game system where fighting wasn't the focus mm-hmm. and that was my best answer for her. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's something that you know it, it it's a part of real life and people you know maybe want to uh, go through you know those types of things within a uh a, a role-playing game and you know if because right. they might be too shy to actually do something about it in real life but you know if they were to role play it it might give them a little more confidence in what they need to do i mean what, i don't know about you but i was kind of an awkward geek growing up <laughs> no i'm still an awkward geek <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um no i i think that's really interesting and you know in our talking, you also talked about um, a, a fanfic uh, Soul Reaver um, game that you worked on. Yes, that was, uh, I want to say, three years ago. I used the program RPG uh, Maker VX Ace, which is a software that uh, where you can go in and through helped scripting, you can create your own kind of turntable-based video game. And uh, now they've come out with uh, a newer version that helps you create your own sprites. So you don't even really have to uh, be too much of an artist to, in order to create your own little you know, characters walking around. But yeah, the idea is I want to have this character go through this quest and blah, 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 blah. And I applied that to the uh, uh, Legacy of Kane game series. And uh, if you're a Legacy of Kane fan you are a fanatic there's 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 no oh i kind of like the games it's like no you're you 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 love them and you hate them at the same time and um we have a pretty good pretty strong facebook group you know where we're all diehard fans and i decided that i would use that system to create a prequel to the the arguably the most popular one which was soul reaver which was one of playstation one's uh, breakout games mm-hmm. it was the 3d environment puzzle solver thing where you could still fight but it was as simple as hit the vampire with the one action move and then when they're you know, they're kind of knocked out impale them but it was still revolutionary at the time and my game was a pre- prequel to that because I, again, I'm not sure how familiar you're all with the game system, but the uh, the game, the original Soul River opens up where the creator of all the vampires, Kane, uh, gets mad that one of his generals starts mutating cool wings. So he gets them thrown into into this watery abyss. And my game was right after that. I played this thing where all, all the generals were kind of making bets as to how many of uh, their dead generals' uh, vampire kids they were going to kill. And you played the youngest general, and of course you're like, I'll kill the most! And they all laugh at you. And the game gives you a, a based on 
uh, easy, medium, or hard, how much time you're going to do it. And I that I made it where there was like nine different endings to it. And scripting's hard. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty interesting, though. I mean, using a game and creating that many endings. I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I know there are nowadays there are a lot of games that have a lot of uh, different endings like that. I mean, just look at uh, um, Near Automata. How many endings are on that game? Like twenty something. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with, with that particular one, but I'll I'll tell you, you have to have a like a, an amazing amount of patience to be able to deal with it because it's it's a revolutionary idea. And what's cool about RPG Maker is if you make your own game you can sell it. And a lot of people uh, sell their games through that program on Steam. Okay. Uh, so it, 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 as long as you're not like marketing the images within the game, you're just marketing your game, it's a free open license kind of thing. Interesting. But yeah, it, it was... Uh, of course, I can't get any profit from that game that I made because it's technically fan fiction. And I had to... Once you beat the game in any of the endings, you get like a five-page long internet listing of all the resources I have. And I think at one point I'm like, uh, oh, and this is from, you know, such and such company. Please don't sue me. <laughs> but so it's a, an interesting way to, you know, use a use your creative uh, talents to, you know, make something interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like this Final Fantasy VII book that you did. Um <laughs> I want to start with the history of the world. Well, it's a great place to start, right? Mm-hmm. Now, history is. <laughs> um, now, everybody who's played Final Fantasy VII is familiar. You know, the world initially did was just called the planets, but you know they they kind of added in at a later date that the planet was actually called Gaia. Um, now, in in your game, you're playing on Gaia, but it wasn't originally Gaia. Right, because I had to make a transition between the uh, the main plot line of Old World of Darkness to Final Fantasy VII. And what is surprising about Old World of Darkness is before they dropped it, they ended it. Because that was kind of the running theme, was one day there's going to be an apocalypse and everyone's going to die. And I, what I decided was, okay, well, that happened, but not everyone died. It just, everyone got to the point where it's like, oh my god, we're, as a human species, almost extinct. And then gradually, as, as the world started to kind of heal itself, people came back, and of course, whenever you have a resurgence of a population, everything gets renamed. And one of the renamings was uh, Gaia. And basically, throughout this new um, post-apocalyptic history, the world kind of built itself to form what we know of as the, the Gaia from Final Fantasy VII. Right, and the uh, human population started popping up in little concentrated areas, and I wrote in that the uh, most successful one was Midgar, which... Uh, uh, according to my book, originally started as a secret military base where whenever the apocalypse came, it was self-sustaining and it was super secret. So no one knew it, knew where it was. No one knew to search for it for resources to destroy. It could pretty much just bunker down and ride it out. And that's uh, exactly what happened. And because it was 
even though it was a military base, humanity has to thrive again, and humanity has to have cities. So as they started to repopulate themselves, they started bringing in survivors from other areas, and above ground they started to grow, which is what eventually became the, uh, the, the ground base for the slums in, in Midgar. Okay. Um, now, getting into kind of some of the gameplay out of this, like I said, it uses a, uh, White Wolf's D10 system. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're fighting or w- when you're playing the game, are you basically, can you choose which faction you want to be a part of? I mean, do you have to be like Avalanche or can you be a soldier? Can you be a Turk? Can you be uh, just a regular person selling flowers? <laughs> you can, because within the book it's uh, that I, I provided, I did give... Uh, like, hey, these are the stats for humans, and this is the stat for soldiers. And you can go in as a human. In fact, I uh, suggest it, because I had to kind of dig a little uh, deep in this, specifically through, uh, I believe it was uh, Crisis Core. But there there are military fractions that, that don't have an unusual connection to Mako. Sorry, my phone's Oops. telling me. Uh, okay, no. I can snooze more. Okay. <laughs> it's wake up time. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Uh, at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I have a night job. And so this was my first alarm to where it's like, hey, you don't have to wake up yet, but, you know, kind of get ready for it. So it might go off in another half an hour. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can you can start off as a human, as a, as a like a city troop or infantry. Mm-hmm. And if once you build up from that and kind of adjust yourself to the old world darkness system, you can choose to be a soldier in which you get the ability to hold Mako, which is what powers your unusual abilities, your materia, your limit breakers. And from there, you can uh, you can choose to be a Turk or you can stay as a soldier and just kind of climb up the military ranks or once you get uh, really familiar with the system, you can become a part of Deep Ground, which is based off my original attempt at linking uh, uh, Vincent Valentine into the Old World of Darkness, where it's like a very experimental thing and very much based off of uh, Dirge of Cerberus game, where you're, you have an alternate form. Okay. And this this is done through Mako, uh, genetic remodification, uh, you know, of course, led by Dr. Hojo and the other ones. And, and it, it's pretty cool. You get to be this very strong, powerful creature, but also you can kind of lose your mind while doing it. So it's not the easiest thing or the safest thing, but it is the coolest thing. And uh, if you can build up to it, it would be pretty neat. Okay. Um, and then as far as where you would play this, I mean, I've seen a lot of this uh, stems around Midgar. Um, mm-hmm. is, I mean, are there plans to expand, you know, to other areas of Gaia, you know, to go to check out other places within the world and uh, be, maybe do uh, scenarios there? Definitely. Uh, I mean, Midgar is kind of uh, a start off and there's, there's, there's a lot of storylines that you can do with that, but uh, honestly, it's you're probably going to get the most action with away missions, and uh, I I given a sample game, a, a starter game in there, and that's one of the missions is 
because uh, to give a little bit more back history on Midgar, when Midgar became super powerful, uh, <clears throat> President uh, 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 Shinra, he, he decides, you know what, we, ha we have the ability to make more power than what we need, and then we can sell that to other communities. And if they don't like us, we'll destroy them because they're obviously being tainted by the evil supernaturals that exist out there. So they, you know, they expanded, they destroyed cities. Uh, of course, you know, the, the Watani, they was one of their, uh, their, the, the few cities that was like, no, go away. We we're good without you. And of course they got beat into submission and, and yeah, there, there, there are territories out there. And the sample game that I gave was when, uh, is, is, uh, I think two soldiers I gave oh I can't remember if I gave soldiers examples or not but anyways it's a uh, oh one of our our little towns hasn't connected back with uh with uh, Midgar you need to go in there and make sure that everyone isn't dead kind of thing and when you go there obviously you find out that oh my god there's no one here what the hell happened and it was a vampire infestation that you have to solve hmm okay I imagine when I was creating this game, I imagined that Midgar would be more traditionally Final Fantasy VII, but the surrounding area or the world of Gaia would be something more visually similar to what you see in the Vampire Hunter Demons. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm just scrolling through the book, looking at. Uh, not, I'm like jumping into the combat system. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of just reading through this is, you know, reminding me of you know all the steps we had to go through. You had to go through your uh, in, set up your initiative, you know, and then actually make your attacks, and then uh, right. resolving. It was a a very long, but it, it ended up being an, an interesting working system. Um, like I said, for those of you who aren't familiar with how the D10 system works, when you create your characters, you get uh, to allocate points into your skills. And then depending on the type of action you're going to be performing, you get to use those skills to uh, either perform or fail at the action. Um, and then you get so many dice um, based off of the number of points you have in those attributes. Um, for instance, if you wanted to pick a lock, you would have to use like a dexterity and maybe a lock picking skill. Um, you would roll however many dice and depending on like the type of lock it is from a simple lock to a more complex padlock, uh, you would have to roll a certain number. And if you would roll that number or above, that would be considered a success. And if you get enough successes, you actually perform the action. So it, it's, it's a, Similar yet a little bit different to how like a, the the D twenty system works or your standard D and D, but right. I, I I like it because it uses just one type of dice. Right, and in in the book, I I'm very aware that a lot of Final Fantasy seven game players have no idea what tabletop role playing is. I mean, I I'm oh, assuming that a lot. I I would there's a lot more people who who've played some sort of. Uh, tabletop. Um, not everybody likes it, but I mean, people are very familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. Or right. yeah, now, now they are. Now they are. A couple years ago, not so much. But I don't now, know. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, dude, I was trying to play Eleven. I was trying to explain FF uh, FFRPG to somebody, and they were like, "Why would you use dice? How do you win?" 
<laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Like they literally had no idea. And this person was like, had been playing 11 for years. So it's kind of a different caliber of player. There's a lot of overlap. There's definitely a different caliber of player that plays tabletop versus MMO. Yeah, I mean, right. and, and I have my own introduction to helping the uh, the reader understand this world because, and it, like like a lot of the uh, old World of Darkness books, they didn't assume that everyone knew gaming uh, as well, especially since it was so long ago and it wasn't as popular. So I do kind of help people understand the concept, and a lot of those techniques I did borrow from Vampire the Masquerade directly, but I. I I, I didn't want to make this only for the people who knew what gaming was. I was like, no, let's make it for everyone. No, absolutely. I, I really think, you know, opening it up to as many people as possible is definitely uh, a, a great way to do it. And for those who are just getting into a tabletop game, a D10 system is actually pretty nice to work mm -hmm. with. You don't have to, ha you know, have, you know, tons of different styles of dice. Just have a bunch of D10s and... Uh, your your character sheet, some paper, maybe some snacks, some Mountain Dew. You're set for a night. A good DM or <laughs> ST. Yep, storyteller, uh, game master, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, have you actually been able to uh, get people around you to uh, play a game? No, and it. it <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's a. Uh... I'm experiencing a little bit of the same in Oregon that I did in Arkansas, which is, uh, you know, the more eclectic you become, the, the harder it is to get people to like the exact same things you do who have the same time slots in their life to share those things with you. And I, I, I made the decision of sharing it before I was able to play it because I, I, it, it would have been beneficial, I know, to, to have people play it. But then I was like, you know what, I can... I could be waiting up for half a year before this happens. And I, I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll go through it as well as I can and share it. And if people come back and say, this was a broken system, then that's what happened. And well, systems can be changed. Yeah. Um, now, Sarah, you pass this on to a friend of the show. Um, safe, right? God, there we go. Yes, I did. <laughs> Sarah, you what? Oh, barely. Oh, but uh, so has has he? Oh, uh, yeah. What has uh, he so, said so far? So yes, I did uh, share it with him since he. I know he was a lot more the world of darkness uh, setting. Uh, it's one that I knew a tiny bit of. I've never actually played anything. On it. Uh, he did say that, uh, let me see, I had some notes on it. Uh, it is clear that there's a lot of time and effort put into it. Uh, he made a guess that it was at least 300 hours worth of work, which from what you said sounds pretty accurate. So, any idea how much time you actually spent on it, Justin? I, I did spend qu quite a month. I have a night job that I'm able to kind of, you know, go back and forth. And it's, uh, I, I work at a, uh, a drug rehabilitation clinic and I'm responsible for making sure that everyone's fine but if everyone's fine I'm pretty much sitting down in one spot so I have to keep myself <laughs> busy fair enough but, yeah, it was it was uh, a lot a lot of work and I'd say probably the majority of the work came from uh, figuring out from what different books within old world of darkness i was going to borrow this from borrow that from and put it all together to where it 
it was functional. But yeah, right, it was right. it was core. It was I want to say over two months, possibly three months of just doing no other creative project and just focusing zeroing in on this. So yeah, definitely. And he said that was something where it definitely showed that there's a lot of uh, work and effort put into it. That it's clear that you have a big love of uh, Final Fantasy VII and of uh, World of Darkness, and that really comes through. That's good. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, mentioned that you clearly fear neither God nor copyright. Mostly he was a little concerned that White Wolf has occasionally <laughs> been aggressive about enforcing their copyright. So to, of course, do be careful about that. Yeah, are we, are we going to talk about that or are we going to keep going and then come we'll back? Keep, we'll keep going. I'm just going over the uh, notes we have from our discussion. But if there is something, actually, no, if you do have thoughts or comments on it, I would love to hear uh, what you think. Okay, well, I'll get into that topic right now. Sure. Um, yeah, it might it might come down all in my head. <laughs> Cause, you certainly uh, hope not. Right, right. It's because old uh, uh, White Wolf can be litigious when it chooses to be. Because I think uh, at one point, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the the the, the movie. Oh, it was vampires and werewolves and there was a weird genetic crossover and it was underworld? like the, underworld yeah yep. uh underworld and white wolf was in a uh, court uh, there was a there was a lawsuit from white wolf because the storyline was incredibly similar to one of their approved uh fiction works based off their game system so not only do they have game systems but they allow people to write novels so that they can reference it within their books and uh, the the lawsuit was thrown out, but uh, I know that they can be pretty litigious. But on the other hand, if you're if you love old World of Darkness and you're curious about it, someone mm-hmm. made a system to be to play Highlander. Huh? So, yeah, you can play as a as a character from Highlander. And when I w- looked for it again recently, they still have their website up, uh, Highlander the Gathering. Uh, the th- the, they're very, this is White Wolf, this is, you know, Highlander, we'd have no rights to any of this. And the way that they protected themselves is not only just coming right out and saying this is not ours legally, but they also only provided the rule set for playing Highlander. It's kind of like saying, well, if you have the Vampire the Masquerade book, and you know it very well, here's an add-on system to it. Right. I mean, and they've been around for years, so much so that the 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 email addresses on the original web page don't even exist anymore. <laughs> right. And uh, so ancient but, internet. <laughs> but just remember, there can be only one. Right. Yeah, and that was kind of a, a joke that uh, you know we kept uh, uh, telling each other. But you know what the, the so what I learned from the Highlander way of uh, doing things is I came out right out and said, look, I don't own this. I took this from there. I took this from there. And if you like this book, please go to that, you know, White Wolf Company and buy their books. You know, please spend money on them through this. And I did that with Final Fantasy VII uh, as well, or Square Enix, saying, please be this let this be a gateway from your wallet into their company 
<laughs> yeah. And I'm, as with all fan fiction, because I really had to look this up, especially whenever I did the, my uh, Legacy of Gain, uh, Legacy of Kane PC thing, is all fan fiction, unless satirical, is against the law. But typically, companies don't sue if it's within the uh, the uh, the spirit of the original product, and if it helps them gain revenue, because it's pretty much them getting free work. Now, if you if I were playing Final Fantasy VII, where Cloud is is a clown who goes around and chopping people's heads off and saying for Sephiroth, they you know, and that got super popular, they might come down on me, but. If what I'm providing, which is what I hope I provide, was a way for people to bring their world into a game setting, then then they'll be like, oh, okay, so all these people who want to play Final Fantasy VII Old World of Darkness, they're going to be buying our games and replaying them, rewatching the movies, having mm-hmm. to buy those movies. You know, it, I, that that's that's my saving grace, hopefully, is I'm giving them more money by also giving them free work. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think we've noticed as content creators, um, now this might not apply to every type of uh, fan creation, but Square Enix has been pretty open about uh, people in the community taking some of their work and, uh, you know, creating videos or um, podcasts or, you know, other things like that out there. Um, artwork, and and they've they've been very supportive of it. So you know, fortunately, I think that is a a good thing. You know, because they realize that the people who are creating these things are generally fans who have spent a good chunk of money on the properties. Um, I, right. I can't speak on uh, behalf of White Wolf because I haven't really dealt with them much. You know, in 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 recent, but um, I'm hoping that uh, most companies see. Uh, fan works as something similar right and 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 i'm not i'm not standing up and saying this book of mine it is mine it is all of mine i'm the genius behind all of this i i because if i were to do that then i deserve to be knocked down what i'm doing is like i had an idea and i made it possible off the you know and i'm standing on the shoulders of all these great giants behind me who and they're the ones that contributed to Yep. This is this is a, a derivative of their work. You are just using it for, you know, your entertainment and for people, other people to possibly enjoy and be a gateway into their products. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, while it's it's a very slippery slope, I hope that uh, things end up working out on the on the positive side. But but we <laughs> so do I. we but we love the fact that you uh, came in, um, showed this to us, and uh, allowed you allowed uh, you to come on to our show and then talk about it as well. So hopefully the people out there watching us live here at twitch.tv slash Phoenix on radio or listening out on the podcast, um, give us a, a look, uh, take a peek at it, see what you, they think of it. And uh, you know, it, like I said, maybe they'll be interested in playing some vampire or some werewolf or some uh, demon down the road. And maybe we'll get a few more pre-orders on final fantasy seven remake. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, if someone wanted to be a storyteller for for Final Fantasy Old World Darkness, uh, they can definitely do it with the book that I have. But if they want to get really creative, 
they're going to have to buy the other books through through Old World or Darkness. Like, uh, I think uh, specifically one of the NPCs that I have in there, I listed as freaks, which are just people that have been mutated by magic and radiation. And I give a kind of a, a, a list of their their defects. But if you really want to have a good list of what those are or understand them more, then you have to buy into Werewolf the Apocalypse. If you want vampires to be more than just the uh, the bulky stats that I got from Hunter the Reckoning, then you're going to have to buy Vampire the Masquerade. So it, it, it's really a gateway book. Cool. All right, I think we spent enough time on that aspect of it. Sarah, what else was uh, were some of the thoughts that came out of this? Uh, let's see. I'm looking through. Uh, he uh, mentioned that, let's see... Uh, re- the fact that since it references so many different works and not just the original game, uh, I think we might have discussed this a little earlier, but is this something where once the remake comes out, you might be interested in revisiting it and uh, tweaking to add stuff based on what we see there? Definitely. And the, uh, the, the number one thing that I'm very curious about in the remake is the structure of Midgar, especially now that they, you know, we... I just heard from you guys that they put a lot of work in the realism. And the reason why is because I was trying to go online and find any sort of uh, of uh, planning for, for Midgar as a functional city and found really nothing. I, I mean, there there's a lot of sites out there that say, oh, well, you're in the game... Like, you're in Final Fantasy VII, these are the areas you're in. Or if you're in Crisis Core, you're, these are the areas you're in. And there's a this here, like, there's Loveless Avenue here, and then, of course, there's Shinra's headquarters here. But there's nothing really to detail the Midgar at large. And yeah. the closest I got was, uh, and you three might have heard of this, but... Uh, there was a, a team of three who went on Minecraft, and based off the creative visuals of the original Final Fantasy VII, they recreated the entire city. Yeah, I, th- I think I did yep. hear about that. I heard yep. about that, and that's weirdly, if you look at, like, Minecraft cities, you see people who have, like, reconstructed, I mean, I think it was somebody reconstructed the Notre Dame Cathedral for a video game, and mm-hmm. now they're using, like, those, like, that art in CAD to like redesign stuff like it's absolutely real where we have these giant sandboxes where we can build stuff and then we can walk through it in first person and say okay well where would that sign be because all we've Mm -hmm. seen is a 20 second you know motion video from a CD-ROM from 1996 right like but now if we get to look at it from first person looking from the ground upwards at a neon sign what what part of that neon on the loveless sign do we see yeah i would i think for the most part uh a lot of that wasn't actually fleshed out because it wasn't needed um the the most that we've really seen is a rough overhead view of what the sector map is Mm -hmm. um there's not really a, a layout as to you know where the housing areas are versus you know all the different uh um commercial areas and all that so Maybe with the remake, they they were able to dig a little bit deeper and flesh more of it out. I'm I'm sure we still won't have a comprehensive you know guide to the entirety of Midgar sectors one through eight, but you know, who knows? Maybe we'll just have a little bit more to work with. 
Right. Well, there's also... Oh, go ahead. Even, like, the sectors 1 through 8, that's neat. And then underneath it is another sectors 1 through 8, the slums. Yeah. So it's not only just, like, the, the top part, but the, you know, the double-decker. I mean, that's that's a double city all in itself. And True. I, I got nothing other than, you know, than, oh, sh- we're in the shanty town today. I wonder if we're going to have a house for a, an enemy again. I hope so, and I hope it's as goobery looking as the, uh, <laughs> as the original, because I want it to just, because it's all hyper-realistic and like yeah. looks super cool. I want a house with big old <laughs> vampire teeth and googly eyes to just show up and have everything be played completely straight about it. Does anybody... Also, I believe it was called Hell House, which is just even better. Perfect. Right. Perfect. It, it reminds me of one of those little Tykes Playhouses. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, please continue. Uh, and the uh, oh, let's see. Talk, talking a little. Uh, since the focus is on uh, what was it? here we are. Since uh, you mentioned that uh, you were drawing a bit from a lot of the stuff with Vincent, uh, with the whole which one was it? Demon the I can never remember the names of World of Darkness things. Demon the Fallen. Demon the Fallen. Yeah. Uh, so a bit of the focus uh, on there. He was mentioning that the. Uh, if it was something where you wanted to continue trying to uh, develop FF7 in t- uh, to work with other uh, settings, he was curious if you had heard of a system called Gumshoe that he had been playing recently that he said lends itself to hyper-competent cinematic player characters. And if it was something where you might be interested in uh, testing out stuff that gets more of the, bit of the feel of other characters or other stories in there, that that might be one you might have fun exploring. The the word gumshoe is familiar. I mean, it'd be open to other systems because yep. I'll admit, Old World of Darkness is my favorite, and I've had decades of or a decade of experience with it. So that was kind of my go-to, and I knew what to borrow from where in order to make my thing work. Yeah, uh, being familiar with the system gives you a lot of. Uh, stuff to work with a lot of you're we're gonna really know what to do and be comfortable with it uh this was more of a hey if you want to try something a little different this is another one that you might have heard of that uh might lend itself well to some of this other stuff you're trying to do more of a hey this is something if you want to do further development with it that development with it that he thought you might find interesting right and i guess my my best answer to that is yeah i'd be interested but also this is a fan fiction that i made for free and i'm <laughs> handing out to anyone <laughs> yep. if if someone stands up and said you know after after the ff7 remake comes out and they're like you know what i like your book i also am very knowledgeable about the city planning of midgar can i make a an addition to it as long as there's some conference between us i i wouldn't care and even if there wasn't if they did it all on their own it's not like i can come you know, over and say like, "Oh my God, you messed up my work." So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm open for for people to come in and and work for me because even even within the 218 pages that that there is there, there is so much that I couldn't even touch on. Like, uh, it it might push some people away from it, but I couldn't add in a summon materia mechanic in there because it would have added maybe. 30 more pages because I know exactly what book I'm going to borrow from and it's very complicated and I'd have to figure how to bring that in and at that point I was like I I can't bring everything into this otherwise people are going to not want it I mean they they may even see the page count of 218 and say no thank you that would be a l- more than a little intimidating yes yeah just 
What? Addendums. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, when I... your Klaus, when your appendix gets too swollen, you have it removed. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah, you're not wrong. I feel, like if you were to, I feel like if you were to put a summon materia in, I feel like it ends up just being the same as a standard magic spell. It's just named something else, and it's huge. Like that's usually what. I've seen a couple of Final Fantasy-esque systems, and that's usually what summons end up as. Yeah, I mean, in the Final Fantasy games themselves, it's uh, it is often effectively here is this amount of damage. We're just attaching a really pretty animation to it. Yeah, it's Fire Five. Right. Though no, I <laughs> that's uh, all it is. <laughs> if if uh, if there's enough popularity in this book uh, 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 that I made, and people want addendums, and specifically they are like throw in the summon materia. I was going to base it more so off of the Summon Bahamut in Advent Children, where it's its own entity capable of individual acts. So it's going to be very similar to the way they're doing summons in the remake. Or in uh, Final Fantasy XII. Uh, Really, the way they've done summons in almost any modern Final Fantasy, where it starts say, being I'm this thinking... more actual, tactically interesting thing. I'm right. thinking of ten Or yeah. Type-0. Yeah. Like... That's just how it is. Okay, type zero summons are the thing that show to me why a summon should be feared. <laughs> I mean, watch I'll a speed run and you will never, ever, ever be able to look at Shiva and take her seriously ever again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Yeah, no, Moose showed me a video of a summoning of Alexander, where it's like, see why cultures fear these and try to have the summoners killed. This makes sense. <laughs> All yeah. right. Was there anything else that you wanted to add in then, Justin, before we move on? Hmm. Um, well, um, the, the thing, the, the, the big thing that I, I want the, about the book is for it to be shared. So, uh, if, if someone downloads it and then they have friends that are curious about it, you don't have to do the whole, oh, we'll go to the download link. Go ahead and give them the, the, the PDF. I mean, uh, again, that might be a little bit of a not great thing for me to say with the whole copyright issue, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, already, I'm already screwed as it is, so I might as well go all in. So, uh, <laughs> in for a penny, in for a penny. Copyright, go. Right, right. So, yeah, I... And and, and uh, the link that it has it on is Dropbox, and we all know that Dropbox has a, a share limitation. So if if for some reason it leads it it reaches its maximum that day, and you know someone wants it and you have it, give it to them. You know, and and in addition to that, once you play it, tell me how it went because I I I would have loved to have played it, but I didn't have the people at the right time and. You know, if you if there is a podcast who does one time shot or one shots and stuff like that and record it, give me a link so that I can listen in because that that would that would make it worth it to experience people enjoying the thing that I made. Well, I was just gonna say if there's anybody out there who wants us to give it a try, just let us know, and if anybody would be interested in potentially uh, rolling a character. And maybe we do say a three or four hour session on that. We can try and get together on Discord um, and, and do some of that. Um, or, like I said, uh, Safe out there, he's got a copy of this, and I guess he has an active group that he plays a lot of these uh, World of Darkness games with. Mm -hmm. uh, he does have a, a 
old world of darkness thing going. In fact, uh, I was going to invite him to come along and share some of his thoughts and other commentary in person, except his game is actually tonight. So. <laughs> well, if he gets a chance to take a look at it as well, um, I've, I've shared the link now twice in the Twitch chat, and we will be also uh, attaching it to the show notes. Um, it'll be a little bitly link, so it's not quite as long as the Dropbox link that you provided. Right. But it links directly to Dropbox, so if you wanted to uh, go out there, download the PDF, take a look at it, and see if it's something you might be interested in adding to your uh, um, role, tabletop role-playing group's uh, uh, repertoire, giving it a try, we'd love to hear about it. Um, and I will make sure that we pass that information along to Justin as well. Uh, Justin, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I, I thank you for contacting us, telling us all about this, and joining us tonight uh, to, to share uh, y your work here. And I hope that people uh, get some enjoyment out of it and uh, it becomes a, a fun game to play. Me too. And oh, also, one last thing. Everyone, please forgive the typos. I'm sure they're all in there. There's a couple, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there maybe will be willing to help do some... Uh, fixing right. on that too so i'm not perfect <laughs> come on you're supposed to be a playwright i'm just kidding right yeah <laughs> um if people want to get a hold of you justin do you have any social media that that uh, people could uh, contact you at well i am on, on uh facebook i am i also realize that i need to start expanding more um i believe uh well my email is blazedellproductions at gmail.com and that's probably the best way to to contact me about projects or anything like that but okay. yeah I'm, I'm very approachable in in facebook if you send me a message i'll probably say who is this and if you say well, you know i have a really good deal on a timeshare i'll block you but uh if <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all experience that but or maybe yeah, you say phoenix on radio sent you or you heard us on the podcast definitely yeah yeah <laughs> that, would, that would be nice no then you're definitely blocking no those guys are terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe after the first five and we're like okay okay no more <laughs> well like i said this was a great time and like i said i'm hoping um maybe my schedule will open up to where i can give it a try if people are interested in seeing it here on the channel um mm -hmm. if if you guys out there give it a shot do let us know we want to hear about it um because like i said we we really like to showcase things that are happening out in the community and this is definitely a pretty big one so justin again thank you so much for for joining us today you're welcome to stick around for as long as you want i know you have to go to work here in a couple hours but uh um right. like i said we really do I, thank I, you for your time I, yeah i think i i might head out just to kind of prepare for that but yeah they, this is my first podcast uh thank you for uh for giving me that experience uh uh yeah, it was interesting, and I will share the link. <laughs> and like, oh, everyone, I'm famous now. I was on a podcast. <laughs> so we're getting another two listeners. Great. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, like I said, we, we do this because we enjoy Final Fantasy. You did this because you enjoy Final Fantasy and Older World of Darkness, and it shows. So well, like I, I I appreciate the appreciation, honestly. That, that that's my thing. Is if someone appreciates the thing I've made, that's what I need. I hear you. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and you have yourself a wonderful evening. We'll be in touch soon. All right, good. And uh, one thing for for you, class, uh, if you do play it, just know that I totally erase the maximum ten dice limitation in the book. So ah. get a lot of d tens. Oh, I have a lot of d tens. 
<laughs> Good. Trust me. <laughs> so. All right. Well, uh, Sayers, nice meeting you. Talas, nice meeting you as well. Uh, if I create something new, I'll definitely send your, your guys' way. Yeah, we look awesome. Forward, we look forward to hearing from you in, in the future, my friend. All right. Well, you all three of you take care. All right. Thanks again. You have a wonderful evening. Take care, man. Have a good night. Have a good one. All right. Bye. So that was a lot of fun, guys. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. You know, like I said, being an old school, uh, old world of darkness geek from tw- <clears throat> almost 20, actually more than 20 years ago. Uh, I remember my friend um, introduced me to Vampire while I was still in high school, which would have been 96, 97. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, Dang. this system is, is quite old. Um, so am I. But. Um, <laughs> You're not that much older than me. I just I grew up in I grew up near where Wizards of the Coast is based. Mm-hmm. So like tabletop RPGs are just kind of ubiquitous with nerds and gaming. True. All so, right. Like, I just I just grew up with it. So I, I hope you guys all enjoyed that. And like I said, I, I figured it was cool to bring in something very different to our Final Fantasy based podcast. So agreed. All right. So something we haven't had in a while. Something you guys all enjoy intently, and probably the biggest reason why you guys continue to listen to us. Um, Sarah, are you trying to tell me that you don't want to do this? Uh, I, I was hoping one of these days it might be on a show that didn't run over to three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we need to do is move your segment to the beginning of the show. Oh, I was going to, yeah, I was about to suggest, I was like, what about next? Oh, wait, no, live letter. Yeah. Do we oh want, my god! Do you want to pick just the top, the first part of this, and uh, sure. we'll, we'll we'll make us a two part uh, lore sure. session? So yeah, I had been putting together stuff uh, since uh, with a lot of the revelations about uh, Asians, about all the setting stuff, questions that we've been having. Uh, in some cases, since oh, some of these questions have literally been since 1.0 about what these various uh, creatures are, what's going on with it. And so I have got the request to go ahead and put together everything we know, everything we think we know uh, about a lot of stuff with the Asians, uh, with uh, a lot of setting there. That said, it ends up being a lot. So we'll start with just uh, some of the location stuff for this time around, looking at uh, the te- the ocean depths of Norvrant, the Tempest, with a lot of the locations that we have there, some interesting references there. Uh, just kind of exploring that, looking at, uh, as I said, a number of real-world references and how they kind of tie into what we've got with the setting here. And then we'll be expanding on that next time, uh, or possibly the 28th. We'll work it out. Uh, Eventually. Into, yeah. Into what all of this might mean. So for now, we'll start with uh, the Tempest, of course, that undersea area in Norbrand, which it was pointed out that a lot of the things that we find down there did also once exist on the source, and in fact existed in all the Shard worlds, given that they were all split off uh, shortly after the fall of Amaroth. It was more the fact that on the source, they've been uh, erased by calamity after calamity. When the world gets reshaped around seven times, there's usually not a lot of ruins left over. But down there, uh, uh, first off, in the Tempest area, that of course is a, the reference to Shakespeare's of uh, the Tempest, uh, one of his. I believe I believe it's classified as a comedy because not everyone dies. 
Let me verify. Is that, that what classifies as a comedy? I mean, fairly, if he's using the same six jokes that are in every other comedy. And frankly, the tragedy's funnier. And yeah, it is. Uh, it is listed in the first folio as the first of his comedy, although it deals with uh, both tragic and comic themes. Uh, pretty much the old stuff. It was either a tragedy, which means that everyone dies, or a comedy, which means that not everyone dies. Just like, mostly everyone. Not even mostly everyone. Just uh, it's kind of more of a thing of what it's focused around. But the massive deaths is a thing that tended to be a part of it. These days, we're a little more thoughtful in how we classify stuff. So those are kind of more deprecated uh, descriptions. But within that, it is uh, considered one of Shakespeare's comedy. Uh, dealing with uh, people uh, who are uh, lost at sea, stranded on an island, uh, encountering the magician, uh, all sorts of stuff going on with that. It's a good play worth seeing. Uh, but the area of the Tempest itself is filled with references to Shakespeare's The Tempest. Uh, the area music, for instance, uh, called Full Fathom Five, that is taken directly from a verse passage in The Tempest. Full Fathom Five, thy father lies, of his bones are coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him doth, that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change into something rich and strange. Sea nymphs hourly ring his knell. Hark, now I hear them. Ding, dong, bell. Now the term full fathom five, a fathom is six feet. Uh, some of you may have also heard this from reference to the name Mark Twain, taken from the riverboat, uh, riverboat uh, term, where they would mark Twain, mark that it was two fathoms or 12 feet deep, which would be enough for a riverboat to uh, safely cross. In this case, five fathoms is going to be about 30 feet. Before the existence of scuba gear and specialized training methods, a 30-foot depth in water is going to be effectively out of the reach of most people. And even today, six minimum depth for burial at sea. So talking about uh, this character when uh, they're being told that their father full fathom five lies, that he is uh, kind of out of reach in the sense of like, not uh, like gone to this other worldly world. It's used as this elaborate metaphor for death and of him as the fa uh, deceased father as having become part of this ocean landscape. Uh, not just, it's not just that he's dead, but that it's kind of a strange world out of the reach of ordinary people. Uh, we have a number of uh, geographical features in the Tempest, uh, Trinculo Shelf and the Caliban uh, Gap and Gorge. Those are named after characters from the Tempest. The Fish Guide even mentions an Ondo legend about the great fish god Caliban, who breathed life into one of his shed scales and named the creature that sprung forth after himself when describing an armor-plated fish. Also, uh, the Prospero eel and the Psychorax are fish that you can catch down there that are also named after the characters in The Tempest. Uh, Prospero, of course, being the main character and a sorcerer, and the Prospero eel is de described as being believed to possess the ability to control the elements using some form of innate magic. Psychorax is uh, the mother of Caliban, uh, a strange magical creature, and the Psychorax is uh, described as a 
with an iridescent sheen from a result of ether incorporated into the shell. And so that sheen may having it named after a witch of legend. So even though it seems like a place where there's not as much down there, it's just the ocean floor, we still have a lot of those oceanographic features, a lot of the life down there that they're using to pay homage to Shakespeare's Tempest and really drive home the idea of this being a strange world full of magic and unseen things. Now, as we go through that, uh, to Amarot, we leave uh, Shakespeare's Tempest and enter Thomas More's Utopia. This was a work of satire about the ideal state of a republic. How should we build our societies? What is the best way to build a republic? The, word, the work is written in Latin, but the word utopia itself comes from Greek and literally translates to no place. Now, the English pronunciation to a Greek word which translates to good place. So we have kind of this dual thing of this uh, place that is a possible place, it is a good place, the ideal place, or a place that doesn't exist. And there's a lot of playing uh, with this kind of idea in the work, uh, exploring the idea of what is this perfect thing, is this a perfect society that can actually truly exist? I prefer Fruitopia personally. You would. But uh, it was the, good. Interp yeah, but Thomas More <laughs> did not see fit to write about Fruitopias. Well, he should have, because it's amazing. He really should have. Obvious deficiency on his part. Exactly. Sorry. No worries. The interpretation of the book and its message are kind of massively disputed, and no one is 100% sure uh, what More intended. Uh, many of the messages that it seems to put forward are at odds with the beliefs that More professed to have. So there's several portions where people aren't sure, is this something he's seriously suggesting? Is this something that he's trying to make a joke about? A lot of stuff did not necessarily translate well, and there's a lot of disputes about where he was actually going with it. Uh, but for our purposes, Amarok comes up as the capital city of the island of Utopia, centrally located among 54 cities on a crescent-shaped island. And several of the lands mentioned in Utopia in FF14. Uh, we have, within, if you open up your map of the Tempest and take a look at that southern half of it, the Akura Heights, Akura meaning no landia, the Polylarite district, Polylarite, meaning much nonsense. The Macarensis Angle, Macarensis meaning happy land. And even Academia Anider, the Anider River being the river that was supposedly bordered Amaro, and uh, no water, so the no water river. Lots of the naming in Utopia follows this kind of paradoxical uh, thing where you have something that is given a name that suggests this is nonsense. This is something that's being made up. This is a contradictory thing. And there's even an appearance made by actually a central role of a character, Raphael Hathlodeus. Or Hathlodeus, uh, and who is a traveler who has spent five years living in Utopia. And so, as part of his role in the story, tells the other characters about uh, Utopia, about the way they run things. It's kind of their guide to the city, effectively. The name Hathlodeus literally translates as expert of nonsense. And that was one where, again, they kind of... Uh, had this uh, reference throughout, you have this utopian city, this ideal perfect land, this uh, thing that Emmett Selk has 
on his memories of it, recreated uh, and populated with the people. And you even have this person in Hythlodeus who acts as kind of as our guide to it, telling us important information about it, uh, giving us the relevant pieces that we need to connect at those last bits of the puzzle. So it was kind of a interesting way to explore, hey, you have this ancient utopia, while at the same time referencing a lot of stuff that also appears in the work about, is this uh, truly a utopia? Is this something that we, uh, we should be sacrificing to bring back? Is this something that, okay, maybe it's being described as such, but it's not worth the sacrifice? And leaving it good and ambiguous. This is one thing that I know a lot of people have loved about the story, how it's not clear-cut uh, what the right course of action was. It's understandable why uh, Emmett Selk wanted to bring it back, this kind of perfect society that he saw as this ideal solution and the uh, people that we have today. So making those references, invoking all of that, seemed like a really subtle and clever way to uh, explore a lot of these ideas. And maybe get people reading uh, some of their classics. Nah, that's not what they were trying to do. <sighs> the, like, the teams that work on these games are absurdly well-read. I'm kind yeah. of curious what their various degrees are in. Uh, just looking through some list i saw a whole bunch of different literary references a few pop songs there's a lot to draw from there almost anything you see in this game ends up being a reference to something else and it uh even if it's just like invoking a famous phrase and it's really fun to take a look through a lot of those see what you can extract out of it and see how this is kind of communicating that deeper meaning there that's and video games it, though that's yeah. video games in a nutshell yeah Yep. Even in testing, people would come in. They'd say, "Oh, I have a degree in you know game design." I'm like, "Cool, don't care." That dude flies helicopters, and I used to deliver pizza, and we're working on a game about soccer. Like, it doesn't matter. But it, everything you know will show up in a video game somewhere. This is how the development process is. Yep. You draw uh, on what you know. In yep. part because, uh, unless it's like something absolutely uh, mild, or it's like say a sports game where there's a you're specifically trying to create a particular you're doing some kind of storytelling and you're going to draw from all the bits of culture and uh, knowledge that you have to try to tell a good story all right i think that was a nice little uh, lore tidbit for tonight yeah and that'll help set the stage because next time we'll go ahead and actually delve deeper into that history of Amarod, see how that uh, leads us to the Asians, to their activities throughout the entirety of our game kind of gives us a bit more of an idea going these past oh my god how many years has it been a lot of years well the, the in total it's been almost 10 years good lord and yes uh we'll get into this a bit more next time but as i said Asians, uh the concept of Asians and uh the stuff that they're doing is something that's been there since 1.0 it's not necessarily clear what their original intention was how fully it was developed how much of stuff they had versus how much they've later but some aspect of this has been a guiding part of the game's mm -hmm. foundation since the start absolutely all right so <laughs> now you guys have had your a little bit of lore hopefully you guys are hungry for more next time um, inject the lore in between your toes that makes it less noticeable no that's so gross <laughs> nobody needs this you don't need lore tracks come on <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, oy, guys. Oy, oy. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. So if you liked what you heard, please make sure to like, subscribe, or follow us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. Uh, we think we're out on uh, Spotify as well. Um, or whatever your preferred podcatcher is. And if it's all, at all possible, make sure to leave us a rating or review. Um, it helps other people find our show and lets us know what you think of it, as well as uh, helps us grow up within the podcast community. And if you really dig this show, please consider subscribing here at twitch.tv slash phoenixdownradio. Um, or if you want to become a patron out on our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash phoenixdownradio, like our amazing friend Aurori Fenrir, um, the, what we get from that helps us to uh, grow the show, helps us cover some of the mundane things like hosting costs, and allows us to do some fun stuff. Like we can get some new games to play, we can do some giveaways, we can have some fun stuff like that go on. Um, little Timmy can get his operation. Who's Little Timmy? Oh, um, Chili. Yes, Little <laughs> Chili can get his operation. You mean to have a Nando's Buckets surgically attached to his jaw? Probably. That is another thing that is a bad idea. <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons. Oh my god, people. But... Any kind of support, whether it's likes, emails, retweets, follows, subs, it's always greatly appreciated because we just love hearing from you guys. We love interacting with uh, people in the community, and I hope you guys know that. Uh, if you want to check out our backlog of podcasts or see any other interesting things that we may, may post, you can go out to our website at phoenixstarmradio.com. If you have questions, suggestions, anything you, you want to hear, you can email us, podcast at phoenixstarmradio.com. If you prefer to get, catch us out on social media, we are at phxdnradio on Twitter, um, or you can go um, to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash phoenixdownradio. So... We're at the point where we want to do some shout-outs. Who wants to start? I got this one since I think Sarah's voice needs a break. <laughs> uh, so, I'm Talos Marvelous. You can find me on Twitter at T-A-L-I-Z Marvelous. I just posted a picture of me holding 100 gil. If you want that 100 gil, follow PHXDN Radio on Twitter and retweet that picture, and I will pick somebody by next week. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, be forewarned. There's a lot of pictures about cars, a lot of crap about moving to Japan, and a lot of bitching about anime. But it's all good stuff. Oh, it's all good stuff. It's just stuff. I'm a shit poster. What can I say? It's just a lot of stuff. Is the big always thing. too much? Well, he is the most interesting potato on the planet. <sighs> what about that one that looks like a penis? I think I'm more interesting than that. Oh, good job then. Sweet. You're a sweet potato. God, I hope not. <laughs> I want to be. Vodka. I want to be vodka someday. Why can't you oh, make? Man. I mean, people... that, yeah. Now I'm wondering, could you do that? People can make uh, vodka out of uh, sugar cane. Why couldn't you do it out of sweet potatoes? Wait, wouldn't that just be wrong? No, it's vodka is how it's distilled. Oh, fair. There's other processes with involved with rum. Okay, then. T-I-L. Yes. Today we learn things. Learning has taken place. Yes. Sarah, you're up next. All right. Uh, so shout outs to a bunch of people who have helped me uh, with crafting submersible parts, which I did a lot of over the last couple of weeks. 
Like, a lot. Oh my god, I found this amazing subpart calculator, and it, like, kept me up until 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> Do you have night. a coke problem again, sir? No, I have moved beyond coke. Now I need crypto, which Christ, either means... Right. Which either means Cryptomeria Lumber, or it means cryptocurrencies for God knows what I'm getting into, because I'm going to use it to make sure you can't trace it. I mean, innocent things. Lots of innocent things. Uh, but shoutouts to, uh, among others, Magnus Aurelian, Casca Couch, Azim Gabori, Limecat Indignacio, Cyrilo Wrongway, and Kyle Spender for uh, providing materials and for being willing to respond to my, hey, I need three people for company crafting at all hours, both day and night. I think I have Kate for that at one point, too. Oh, yes. No, you did show up for a couple of them. Yes, I did. <laughs> I've been making a lot of submersible parts, okay? Congrats. <laughs> Woo! Uh, you can find me on Twitter at F-F-X-I-V-S-E-Y-R-R, -R, where I post random interesting things I find working at the library, occasionally stuff that I uh, have cooked that looked pretty, or other neat stuff like that. Very cool. And I want to shout out our... Um, guest tonight justin blaisdell thank you so much for joining us tonight sharing your work with us your your fan fiction your your uh adaptation of uh the final fantasy 7 story within the old world of darkness trying to word it so he doesn't get in trouble um shout out to sarah and talas for joining me tonight thank you so much for all of your hard work uh talas thank you for the recap on kupokan Sarah, thank you for bringing uh, the lore back. Good King Koopo Khan. Good King. Wait, what? <laughs> That's uh, Alex. Alex is King Koopo. <laughs> Excellent. Are you trying to summon Alex now? Uh, maybe. You'd have to get here from PEI, and that's quite a distance. I mean, he sounds like a nice guy. But, you know, if we summon him, he may not be the same Alex. Eh. Uh, we could get him a little bit taller. I don't think he'd mind. We'll burn that bridge when we. He might be a lot taller and, and more malicious, depending on. Uh... I'm messaging him right now, telling him <laughs> you said that. <laughs> well, you know what happens when we end up summoning uh, primals. Um, bad things. They're they're or not necessarily. Go kart. <laughs> no, that's only when we remember it. When we don't remember it, just because it hits like a when, truck. When we quote-unquote remember it. Yeah. Uh, shout out to everybody watching us live here at twitch.tv slash Radio and listening us out on the podcast. Like I said, thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, we w couldn't do this without you guys. Um, and if you want to find me out on uh, Twitter, I am at phxdn underscore k-l-a-u-s-s. Um, I post whenever I can about random stuff, uh, talk about some cool things. Lately, I have been uh, following a lot of uh, the, the Twitter philanthropists because I think at this time of year, um, people who are able to help other people is one of the best things that, that can be done. So I want to make uh, people uh, kind of see that. And if somebody's uh, holiday season can be brightened by somebody who can, is in a position to help, I think that's a wonderful thing. People, people who help people. I forget how the song goes. 
but you know what I mean. Good enough, but yes. Woo! <laughs> um, so for uh, our guest, Justin Blaisdell, for Sarah Tomono, and for Talas Marvelous, I am Klaus Neipringer, wishing everybody a wonderful evening. Thank you again for joining us. Take care. Phoenix Down Radio is a production of phoenixdownradio.com and Illusion Productions. Final Fantasy XIV and Eorzea are trademarks of Square Enix. In-game content for Phoenix Down Radio is the copyright of Square Enix. Open to music for Phoenix Down Radio is provided by Guilty Gear Rocky. Check out the Metal Chocobo theme cover and many other music videos at youtube.com slash guiltygearrocky. Closing music for this episode is provided by GuitarWanker90. Please check out their full version of Matoya's Cave and other rock video game covers at youtube.com slash guitarwanker90. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of Phoenix Down Radio and its hosts and do not reflect the views of Square Enix.